Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. And a very good morning to you. This is Mick Mulcahy in for Neil for the next couple of weeks as he takes a well-deserved break. We will get it right. Ryan confident on ban of turf sales, says the Mail today. Ronan Smith reporting uh, that Environment Minister Eamon Ryan has said he's confident the government will get the new turf regulations right uh, when they're introduced later this year, despite massive opposition from rural TDs and dissent among the coalition parties. Is the government going to fall over a few sods of turf? I know I'm being flippant about it there, but it comes following weeks of controversy surrounding the proposed ban on large-scale sale of turf. And that's where the detail's going to be, I think. It's the ban on large-scale sales, uh, but the turbary rights and the personal rights of distribution and sharing amongst communities and friends and family uh, are going to be protected, it would seem, because there's been some fury over it. Um, the Kerry TD Michael Healy-Ray has said if the turf regulations are forced through, People will be forcefully letting their feelings known and they will definitely be making their feelings known at the ballot box, he said. Uh, the gap between the rich and poor is growing, says the Mail. Uh, the gap has risen by almost three euro a week as the cost of living crisis continues to worsen. Findings from the Social Justice Ireland found economic equality rose by 154 per week, 154 euros per week as a result of the measures adopted in Budget 22. And electricity prices in Ireland remain among the highest in the EU as energy costs increase sharply, with consumers paying 26% more than average. New figures published by the European Commission show electricity prices here in the Republic at the end of 2021 were the fourth highest among the 27 countries in the bloc. Average electricity costs for Irish households were up nearly 14% compared to 2020. Two of 17 ministers' cars are electric, so they can preach uh, from the pulpit about uh, adopting all of these sort of uh, green measures, but two of their ministerial cars are electric out of 17. Any new car bought by the state should be an electric vehicle. When possible, it's been claimed. This comes as new figures show just two of the 17 motors used to ferry around our ministers are fully electric. This is despite the government pushing for people to switch to electric vehicles with the target of having one million EVs, electric vehicles, on our roads by 2030. But figures released from the Department of Justice show that uh, of the 17 cars used to drive ministers, just two are fully electric. One is a hybrid and the remaining 14 are all diesel. Uh, five of the ministerial cars are 2013 and 2014 Audi A6s. Seven others are high-spec BMW cars, uh, which are all diesel-powered. The fleet also includes a diesel-run bus. And the latest cars purchased for the fleet include a diesel Audi A6 3-litre TDI, bought in 2019, along with a hybrid Lexus, uh, bought the same year. They like their comfort, don't they? And in 2021, the Gardaí, which runs the ministerial fleet, bought two fully electric Audi A6 50TFSIs. The data was released to the Social Democrat co-leader Catherine Murphy after a parliamentary question. Uh, it's a good a snapshot of where there are... Now, I know these cars were bought years ago before this uh, current green wave, if you like, or this push to be ever greener. Uh, but it just gives you an, uh, sort of a statistic as to where they stand right now. On Post accused of selling householders' data... Uh, this is a serious one. And Post has been accused of selling private information about householders, including economic and marital details, to private companies. The Irish Council for Civil Liberties 
has complained to the Data Protection Commissioner about the sale by GeoDirectory, a subsidiary of Unpost, of the data, which is filtered by individual addresses and air code. Uh, where do we all stand individually on GDPR here? A typical entry on the GeoDirectory database includes records of an address, the air code, the type of building, the year of build, the electoral division, and the GPS coordinates. The company's GeoPeople database categorizes the residents of an address by socioeconomic and marital status, with labels such as affluent city singles, struggling older families, or deprived urban families. Imagine having those tags attached to you unknowingly. Marketing material from GeoDirectory recommends combining the different data sets to build a full profile. So let's uh, follow that one because that's a big, big story. If they are proved to have sold householders' data, where do they stand uh, individually uh, with GDPR? There's more Irish than UK passports now being issued in the north in this very, very big week, the biggest election probably in Northern Ireland's history uh, on the way. And uh, looking like... uh, some parties will take a hammering, some will hold the old ground, and that Sinn Féin uh, will likely be the largest party there. Uh, the Taoiseach saying this morning that it would be undemocratic for other parties to uh, stall the formation uh, of, of an alliance uh, allowing Sinn Féin to uh, have the top spot. But let's wait and see, uh, because the votes haven't been cast yet. The number of Irish passports, though, being issued in the North has surpassed their UK counterparts for the first time on record. Newly obtained figures reveal... Her Majesty's Passport Office in London has confirmed 48,555 citizens in Northern Ireland applied for a UK passport in 2020, at least 356 fewer than those who opted for an Irish passport the same year, which was 48,911. And official figures on Irish passports in the region are only available uh, for those issued through the Northern Ireland Passport Express, available through post offices. €12 Euro for a pint at the World Cup. Uh, it isn't a pint you'll need because you'll be so dehydrated from the heat and humidity. Uh, I think alcohol might be the last thing on your mind, but if you are uh, of serious wedge and heading across, footy fans going to Qatar for the World Cup also face paying for the world's most expensive pints at almost €12 Euro a go. Uh, they're dearer than that in Dubai, so that's not a, not a big thing in that area. A study of all uh, 195 countries around the globe found Qatar, where the World Cup kicks off on November 21st, is top of the league at 11.87 a pint. It's more than double the average in Ireland, which is around five euro. The uh, study, I know if you're drinking in town, it's about six. Uh, the study by comparison website finder.com found the cheapest pint was in the Republic of Burundi in Africa. There you can buy a pint for as little as uh, 70 cents. So for the price of a pint in Qatar, you could get around 17 drinks in Burundi. Uh, football fan Oliver Crooks of St. Albans in England said he was put off going to Qatar because of the price of beer. He said it's not just hotels, flights and food. The drinks are ridiculously Expensive. Uh, the mail again, how walking fast could make you feel 16 years younger. If you spent your life rushed off your feet, you could be duly rewarded. Walking fast could make you feel 16 years younger by the time you reach midlife. Research suggests a study of more than 400,000 adults with an average age of 56 has revealed a clear link between walking faster and a reduced biological age, which is how our old cells really, uh, how old our cells really are. Researchers found participants who walked faster with three miles per hour considered a slow pace and more than four miles per hour, a brisk one. They had longer telomeres. Uh, these are the caps at the end of chromosomes 
that protect them from damage, similar to the way the cap at the end of a shoelace protects it from unravelling. A couple more CAB are to get new powers to name and shame criminals. The Times reporting this morning that information about criminals who've made settlements with the Criminal Assets Bureau are set to be published under new proposals from Justice Minister Helen McEntee. The plan will see the names and certain details about the people who have made settlements with CAB published. Currently, every three months, Revenue publishes the names of people who deliberately or carelessly make incorrect tax returns. Ms. McEntee hopes to do the same with the CAB to act as a deterrent and strengthen the powers of the Bureau. And if you're Kylie and Jason fan, they're going back to Ramsey Street for the finale. Kylie Minogue and Jason Donovan will return to Neighbours as much-loved characters Scott Robinson and Charlene Mitchell for the show's series finale. The Australian soap first aired in 1985 and follows the lives of those living and working in the fictional Melbourne suburb of Erinsborough. Uh, Neighbours confirm Kylie and Jason, who are both 53 now, will return to Ramsey Street before the series ceases production in June uh, after being dropped by its own broadcaster. I said we'd mention the weather in our look at the papers. Scorching temperatures are on the way by the end of the week. Summer set to finally hit Ireland with mercury rising to 20 degrees Celsius by the end of the week. While the bank holiday was mainly dull and wet, our luck is about to change with high pressure moving by, uh, moving in by next weekend. The weather outlook for the week shows that although there's showers in store, temperatures will reach the high teens over the coming days, Med Aaron said today. There's going to be a mixed bag leading up to it, but there should be plenty of warm and dry spells. The forecaster said of today's outlook, mostly cloudy, scattered showers in the east. We've given you that already. And of course, we are looking at higher temperatures climbing uh, because of high pressure. Scattered light showers in the morning, uh, tomorrow fizzling out by the middle of the day. But the current indicators from Med Aaron are that drier and brighter conditions will settle in for the weekend, and you can expect temperatures up to 20 degrees. The number one talk show in Cork. If it's happening in Cork, Neil is talking about it. The Neil Prendeville Show on Red FM. And a very good morning. This is Mick Mulcahy. Now, Patrick, good morning to you, sir. Hello, Patrick. Hello, Don. Now, you spoke to Neil a good while back. Uh, you had a COVID baby uh, and had bowel cancer. This was uh, a, a story of some happiness. Uh, and of course, uh, the bedrock of the story, the foundation of the story is uh, your own anguish at having been diagnosed uh, with such uh, a horrible condition, can I say. You're a proud dad, um, but you have limited time. Is that fair enough? That's correct. Okay. Please tell us your story for those who didn't hear the original interview. Um, back in 2017, there I got diagnosed with bowel cancer. I was 46, 47 at the time. Didn't have any of the symptoms, the normal symptoms that you usually get there with bowel cancer, which is bleeding and, and that's such like, you know, the only thing I had was I got a bit swollen in my stomach. Okay. And uh, I started getting pain at the top bit, really. That was it. That was the my symptoms I had. Okay. So you didn't really have the indicative symptoms of bowel cancer? No. So how did you find out you had it, Patrick? I went to the doctors eventually. I had to switch doctors. Um, so this doctor that I got there, my new doctor, absolutely an angel she was. Um, Katie O'Connell there from Kinsale. She um, got me the, um, op- well, I suppose, the all the, um, I suppose, uh, what would you call them there, the diagnosis and everything there. 
CT scans and everything there. She flew through there got, uh, within a couple of weeks. Had to go and see uh, Mr. McCourt there, who's a specialist up in University Cork Hospital. Got diagnosed there, and uh, that was it, really. There, that was the start of us, really, to be honest with you. And, um, yeah, he said they'll come back in a week's time to me. So I came back to him, and uh, he told me that he was surprised that, that I actually came back in a week there. He didn't think I'd make it. I was that sick. Really? Yeah. And, and what did it feel like to get such a diagnosis, that, you know, to have the finality of it all? Do um, to be quite honest with you, um, when we got told there, myself and my wife, um, it just, uh, we just... Uh, I suppose the first thing that it was shock. Uh-huh. I have to say, there it, it, it was just, yeah, it was the it was the the last thing I expected. Actually, in all fairness, I have to say that like, I didn't uh, never expected that. Actually, there to be honest with you. And, and then, what feeling followed? Is it planning for the future? Is it trying to ensure you get the most from every day? Is it worry well, for the family? At that stage, like you know, it was. Operations really there. I just had to get 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 through operations there. The first the first operation I had there was my was for the bowel sort, and uh, I was lucky there that I was in the recovery room there because my bowel um, after they did me the operation I I was bleeding out, so I had to get rushed back into the theatre and get someone back up again. Which the doctor said with me, absolutely, hundred percent brilliant. But here well, he was, and um, first time it happened to him there in thirty odd years of surgery that someone opened up in him. You couldn't believe it. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, after that, then there I it got um, I got told then that I I I had stage four cancer or that it travelled there to my liver and my lungs. So then I had to have four to five operations on my liver which I didn't know was the only organ in the body that actually grows back believe it or not mm-hmm. I was actually I didn't know that I was and surprised did any of those operations or even prior to them were you given any sense of hope or optimism that this might be beaten no so you knew it was terminal right from the start you're just trying yes, to yes, yes. I, I, I knew there I, I knew um, that uh, I, I'd stage four like in what I, they were doing me they were always just trying to keep me going towards as long as as much as they could you know mm-hmm. so um, in the midst of all of that trauma in the of midst course of everything came, else, uh, came with, some very good news with, with chemo and everything else there I've gone through 18 months of chemo and I had um, radiotherapy then I had a little boy <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at a picture of your family and uh, it's a lovely picture and of you holding uh, the newborn your family are young it looks it looks oh, like well that was that was taken over a year ago now so he's he's well well over a year ago now he's 16 months old now so mm. he's a handful at the moment now he's grabbing everything he's into it the whole lot he, that's, he's ruthless yeah he's got no mercy that fella <laughs> absolutely so all of this, of course, happened uh, and really bright. You can see the pure joy in your faces as you hold your child in, in that picture, albeit a year ago. Uh, oh, in, in the midst of what is, you know, devastating news, there is this ray of light and it comes in a human form, a little bundle of joy. Absolutely, you um, As my mother-in-law, Kathleen, said to my, my wife, Jane, they're like, you know, um, 
we went up there a couple of weeks ago up to my specialist there and it told me there that everything that could be done has been done so I've been given six months wow. to live now so I am trying to make every day as best as I can there with the, with the, with the time I've left there with my kids and that you know Jane and Paddy's appeal or Kinsale appeal? Uh, Kinsale appeal. Okay. Yeah. You've been um, through a lot, according to Jane. You've been through chemo, operations, everything, but she says she couldn't be prouder. You've got a beautiful baby boy now, and that was just brilliant news at the time, and he's thriving, yeah? Yes, he's absolutely flying it there, to be honest. There's no fear of him there. And just on, 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 on a selfish side of my own, actually, <laughs> to be honest with you, before I had to go into Marymount's um, twice, and I have to say, the Marymount staff people in there are absolutely beautiful people. They're from the staff to the cleaners, I have to say, they don't get mentioned enough actually there, you know. Mm-hmm. And the place there, Marymount there, it doesn't get mentioned enough. People there automatically assume there, the minute you go into Marymount, you don't come out. I couldn't assure you, you do come out. I've been in there twice. They've got my pain under control and I've been back out. I'm looking forward there actually there when I probably get off this phone. I will probably be going back into Marymount, probably there for another couple of days because I have pain there that it's a small bit too much for me. So I should get the professionals there to look after me there for a few days if they can because I have his Kristen, my young baby's Kristen there coming up in two weeks time okay that's going to be a big big occasion well yes I'm just trying to see if I can get through the day and that's why I'm going back up to Marymount there because they are brilliant okay you've got amazingly uh, an amazingly positive outlook for somebody who has so little time well to be quite honest you, you, um, you have to you just have to get your head down and just get on with it there is no good there sitting around and mopping there you know I won't get anything done if I, if, if I start if I do that you know uh-huh. and uh, I won't be able to make memories have you received not that there could be worse news but it, it doesn't get any better you've received some bad news lately as well Patrick have you or Paddy um, that'd be bad news Really it's the bad news is, is, is the pain, I guess, and that you have to go, have to go back in. But uh, Marymount is, isn't something that uh, you fear in any way because you know you're coming no. back out. No, no, and a lot of people do. Well, I have to say, there I did have my reservations the first time they, they said it to me. There, actually, I have to say, there that it has taken me a long time to, to to build up the courage there to go in there. You know, it's taken me nearly two years. 
who actually build up the courage actually to go in to, to, to Marymount. But I have to say there are the 10 days that I did go in there, it was the best decision that I did make. And what I would say there for people, especially my age group there, um, look out for the signs um, and don't ignore them. Uh-huh. Please don't ignore it. It's not worth it. Yeah, m- m- most of us who work here in, in Red FM would pass Marymount on the way to work unless you're coming directly in from Bishopstown. And okay. you'd often wonder, or you'd nearly, nearly half bless yourself or send good wishes up the lane there because you never know oh. what people are going through behind those gates. Oh, absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt. But you always know that the, the best of humanity is at work inside there. Absolutely, there, there, um, without a shadow of a doubt, there are there, 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 miracles there sometimes happen there. And all I can say is Marymount is one of them places there where you can just go in sit down on the outside even on, on the grounds just sit down if you're having a bad day or pack up your car if you're having a bad day and just look to your left or to your right and just say well there's people they're having a bit of a worse day than I'm having slight, in there slightly worse day than I am yeah you know I suppose it behoves us now to maybe ask you to give advice to other people who, and other men especially, I suppose, um, who may, because men are very slow uh, to attend yeah. and, and, and get diagnosed. Absolutely, um, yeah. yeah. And yeah. A, a kind of an appeal for people to get checked immediately if you feel something is wrong. Absolutely, absolutely, 100% there. If you feel anything at all, especially if you've got blood in your stools or anything, or if your diet or something has changed, or you're getting pains in your stomach, you're swelling up, you're not feeling too good, something's not right down there, you know, mm. definitely go and get get it checked out. It is not worth it, lads. Honest to God, it is just not worth it. I never knew there about this really, their type of thing, you know. Last thing in my mind there was that I had cancer. Um, yeah, a, a shock. Absolutely, 100%, I would say, like, you know. Mm. And, the, and the best thing about this type of any cancer really there, if they catch it early enough, it can be cured. Yeah, and that's the bottom line. All right. All we can do, uh, Patrick or Paddy, is to wish you every bright day possible uh, in in, so in the time that's left allotted to you, and, and uh, hope you make uh, you know extra strong connections. Yeah, just and just that other thing there. Um, just just want to a quick beg there, if I could there. Um, just before I went to Mary Mount there, I did buy, buy myself for every cleaner there. Um, and the one that I have now there, it's absolutely broken. It, it doesn't work. I don't know what's wrong with it there. The mechanics and everything have gone wrong with it there. Or I don't know. So if you know anyone there, anyone out there has got a, an old one that they don't use. Or maybe a new one. Listen, uh, we've been all saying here, beggars can't be choosers. <laughs> <laughs> a recliner seat, a single recliner chair, is it that's yes. uh, an electric one? Yes, yes, yes. That okay. Absolutely. Um, that would be my appeal as well, actually. It's my selfish appeal to go out to the people of Cork. Okay. Surely there's someone out there with a recliner, a second hand, uh, all the better if it's new. Well, I, uh, I could believe it there. I even bought one myself before I went in there for 200 euros there, and the thing, it was just, uh, it's just an absolute ridiculous. Okay. We don't have a recliner chair just yet, but we do have something for you, uh, Paddy. Hang on a second there. Liam, good morning. Oh, yeah. Liam Anderson, you are a professional photographer. Yeah. Okay, what do you want to offer, Liam? Yeah, basically, I was wondering if you would like me to 
uh, I'm offering to photograph his uh, christening because it will be a great moment to capture for him for to look back on in the years to come and for the family to look back on in the years to come as well. Okay, photography by Liam Anderson is your oh, company yeah. name. Uh, what do yeah. you think of that, Paddy? Oh, that's lovely. Absolutely, yeah. That'd be great. That'd be a great job, yeah. It'd be nice. Thank you. It'd be really nice to capture that moment for the family. Yeah, yeah, it would be. Yeah, it'd be lovely. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure you'll do it well. Thanks a million, Liam Anderson of Photography by Liam Anderson for being so kind-hearted. Thanks very much. Paddy, we'll, we'll let the appeal sit there for a recliner chair uh, and yeah. hopefully we'll uh, have some good news for you on that score before the end of the programme, all right? That'd be great, absolutely. Thanks a million. I salute your bravery and uh, recognise your appeal to people to go and get checked if you feel there's anything wrong at all down oh. there, especially if there's blood. And uh, get a check, get the professional opinion and, uh, and hopefully... If something is wrong, you'll have uh, caught it early enough. Absolutely. Paddy, all the best to you, and uh, I hope we'll be in touch with some good news for you. And thank you so much sir, for having me on the, the, um, the what's called there, the old radio there. I really much appreciate it there. Um, all I can say is there, the, to the people at Cork there, just check there, and uh, thanks very much for listening. All right. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Paddy. And, uh, goodbye and God bless. All the very best to you now. Thanks. Bye-bye. <laughs> Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. And a very good morning from the Neil Prenderville Show. Russia's threat to nuke Ireland has uh, made the news and, of course, is making the papers as well today. Uh, Ireland could be wiped out by a radioactive tsunami was the stark Russian propaganda video claim. The Putin, uh, Putin puppet state TV host Dmitry Kisilov uh, showed how the Satan II nuclear missile could hammer the British Isles. Now, this is all conjecture, of course, and uh, very, very unlikely uh, to to be occurring. But the Russian state TV uh, has threatened to drown Ireland with a radioactive tsunami, along with the UK. They're showing the British Isles. They didn't mention Ireland specifically, of course, but it's a chilling broadcast, and it showed how the Kremlin's latest world-ending Satan II nuclear missile uh, could annihilate what they call the British Isles. One video shows an animated missile landing on the UK and shockwaves wiping out Ireland in the process. Uh, Another video shows uh, the uh, drone explosion in the ocean above Donegal and a 500 metre high wave destroying the two islands. But it's all conjecture and uh, people are being asked to uh, take it with a pinch of salt um, basically. We've got Deirdre on line one. Morning Deirdre. Hi. Hi, good morning. Hi, it's, um, my name is Deirdre. Um, I'll tell you, we have, we're actually doing a bit of advertising there with yourselves next week, but um, besides all that, um, I just heard an appeal for a kind of chair with that poor man. That's right. So, uh, um, so we, we'd be delighted. Oh, fantastic. Okay. So yeah. you're in all-in-one interiors. Uh, in in Holly Hill and Blarney Road in Cork, yeah. Okay, well, best to look at your advertising campaign. You're obviously listening. Okay. You're listening. <laughs> oh, I listen. And you're responding. I oh, yes. <laughs> okay, uh, and so the reclining chair is... Can, can you detail it for me? Uh, um, can't detail it. Now, we'd have a number of reclining chairs. Okay. Um, so I can't detail it because I'm, I'm, I'm at home. But the only thing is um, I will be contacting the shop directly. Like, we have lots of recliners. But one that might be more suitable would be a high riser, maybe. I'm not sure if this gentleman would need that. Sure, well, we could possibly put the shop in touch with him. And um, is this something you have to order often? Are there many patients? I know they're, uh, they're, you know, for the elderly and that, and for, you know, people wanting comfort watching television, they're very, very popular. But for those who need to get out of a chair, um, is, is that the main purchaser of this product? 
Um, no, I mean, we'd have the ordinary recliners, but we do have ones that are, uh, would assist um, anybody, an elderly person, anybody that okay. needs to be actually helped out of the chair. Okay. So they're called a high riser. Now, I don't know if he needs that, you know, obviously, but um, whatever, whatever he should need. I'm, I'm pretty sure we have one of those in stock anyway. Yeah, well, but let's let's get him one that, that suits his particular needs. If if that's within yes. your gift, we'd yes. appreciate that. Yeah. All right. Sure. Brilliant stuff. Big-hearted. So, uh, what should I do then? Should we, I? We'll we'll get we'll get Patrick to uh, get in touch with you directly if possible, and uh, he can describe yeah. his needs. Maybe even visit the store. Where is the store again? We're in um, Holly Hill in Blarney Road in in um, Holly Hill. It's um, the Correct address is 1A 2B Holly Mount Industrial Estate, Holly Hill, Blind okay. Road. All right. 1A 2B hmm. Holly Mount Industrial what? Estate, all in one interiors, looking after somebody with a very big heart this morning. Thanks very much, Deirdre. Yeah. All right. You're very welcome. Thank, Thank you very you. much. Bye bye. Bye bye. That's bye-bye. one uh, appeal sorted straight away uh, with the power of the Neil Prendeville show. So thanks very much to all in all in one interiors. Uh, the number of deaths reported to coroners last year, I see in the papers today, was up by 43% uh, on pre-COVID-19 levels, almost 7,600 additional mortalities. Uh, so these are figures from the Department of Justice showing that uh, 25,421 fatalities were notified to the country's 38 coroners during 2021. This is compared to 17,822 in uh, 2019. There's also a notable increase in the number of deaths in 2020, which were up 32% on 2019 levels to 23,465. Now then, let's uh, have... Uh, quick break and back to uh, more calls in a moment. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818-104-106. Red FM. Coming up on 17 minutes to 10 o'clock on this uh, Tuesday morning in a short working week for most. Now, just to thank Pat Barrett and Teresa Jeffers, who have also offered recliner chairs, a selection of them to Patrick. And we've also hooked him up with all-in-one interiors who were first in on this. But let's get him the best one for his needs, shall we? Uh, I know there's not going to be uh, any acrimony if one provider gets to supply uh, the chair rather than another because the, everyone has his best interests at heart. So let's just try and get the best recliner chair possible for um, for Patrick or Paddy uh, as he's known. Let's go to Louise on line one. Hi Louise. Hi. Now you're a healthcare assistant working for an agency uh, and you, you, want, you want to try and highlight uh, something very important to you. Can you tell us a little about it? Yes. So um, in the country at the moment, we have a bit of a crisis um, with um, recruiting healthcare assistants. Um, this is kind of right across the board, really, in all departments. But um, basically, um, there's many thousands of elderly people that are waiting care packages to be given out by the HSC. They're in nursing homes or hospitals, um, some at home, maybe. Um, we're trying to um, highlight a fact that most of these contracts um, are given to the agencies at the moment. Now, there's nothing wrong with the agencies. I actually work for an agency. Um, I work for two, really. Um, but most of my hours I would have privately. Um, a few years uh, ago, um, a man called Michael Harty set up a, um, a platform 
because he could see he was involved in the healthcare and he could see the conditions and stuff that the healthcare assistants were working through. And so he set up a platform in which it enables the empowers the carers to actually um, uh, promote themselves, uh, have their, put up their own price or negotiate with the families and have their own hours. And it's not only good for the care, but it's good for the client and their families as well, because they can actually go on to this um, platform and they can see out of the many, many um, uh, carers that are there that are qualified, guard vetted and uh, waiting for it to actually be um, given um, care. The HSE at the moment is only given disability to this. They don't recognize it as an agency because it isn't an agency. It's a different it's a different thing. It's a platform. And what we're trying to highlight is that all of these elderly people are being left in the meantime without care packages. Okay, so look, to, to best appreciate what you have on offer here, let's look at the problems inherent in the system first, shall we? Uh, yes. why, why is there a lack of, uh, you can't say home helps anymore because they have a new title now, haven't they? They are, um, they are healthcare support assistants, aren't they? Yes, because we have to do the QQI um, to qualify the higher award five, and there's a lot involved in that. Um, and you pay for that yourself. They are the companies sometimes do take it on to actually um, to help you to do that, but then you have to stay with the agencies for two years. Um, so I went out and I paid for my own and done it privately. Okay, what does what does that involve? It involves that you you have to do um, uh, eight different modules. You have to have um, care of the elderly. You have to be doing care skills. You have to know about palliative care. There's a variety of areas where you would be really trained in knowing how to deal um, holistically with people. Um, it's all it's really drummed into us really actually on this course about individual person-centered care. And the reality of it is when you go out into the workforce, unfortunately, it doesn't really exist that much because there's such a turnover in the staff. Yeah, so unless you have some semblance of regularity with the client, uh, you're not going to yes. get, get that rapport, and as it were. Particularly if somebody has dementia or Alzheimer's, you need somebody familiar, you need familiarity. Some some families are going through five different carers in a year. They're actually tearing their hair out. It's It's distressing for them and their loved one. And we have, uh, you know, what I would really, in, in, there's a system in the UK, you know, where they, the local council would give out the funds. I can't see why the HSE, if they're giving these uh, elderly contracts to the agencies, I and, and knowing that the agencies are bringing in new people all the time and that they're not qualified a lot of them, they have two years to qualify. There's nothing wrong with being not being qualified, but they're, you know, my point is if they're willing to give these elderly contracts out to the agencies who aren't, um, the conditions aren't the best maybe for us, would they, why will they not give us on homecaredirect.ie, why will they not allow us as qualified carers who are vetted to um, help these people um, and start getting these people the care that they actually deserve. Okay, so the reason you're coming on is to advertise the fact that these services are available. Um, is the the lack of uh, personal assistance and carers in the HSE down to, uh, I know it's a vocation, it, it, it's hardly a job that would appeal to everybody and in that sense there's a noble uh, sense to the cause of helping and assisting the, the, the elderly. But um, is is the pay good in this area? The rewards are obviously there yeah. if, if that's the your chosen vocation. The rewards are amazing, yes. Yeah. It's, it's really because we love the job. You wouldn't stay in it for the money, I have to be honest with you. Um, um, realistically, this is the average wage is between 11.50 and 12.20. And your own so travel? You get, 
and you I only I'll be completely honest I only got uh, mileage I would say in the last uh, month and will I tell you what I got actually in my last pace and this is truthful I had I think ni- I actually laughed when I seen it it was like 98 cent um, for mileage um, it's 25 cent a kilometre between clients now if you stop to put petrol in your car that breaks that you know, um, why can't we get um, a fuel allowance or a fuel, you know, uh, even 20 euros, especially now, given the, the way that uh, fuel and diesel has gone up. It's insulting. I know a, a personal carer told me yesterday, a nail carer, we've got nail carers as well on the site um, and they're very good. Um, and they, one of them told me that he actually drove from Ballancolic to the Glen. He was 55 minutes in traffic. He had uh, terrible weather conditions at the time, 30 minutes back. And roughly what he got out of it was about 88. Now that's wow. disgraceful. So, I, I know, like personally, I'm being taxed at twelve euros an hour, and then on top of that, I had to pay for my own mileage and stuff for the last two years, all through the pandemic. So you're receiving wages that are at or barely above the minimum wage. You've got little guarantee of work. Um, you probably have little or no job security, and uh, if I might say so, there may not be that many career pathways for well, advancement in this industry. Yeah, um, I think, well, what I'd like to do is go on and see, can I do nursing or something? Um, I think that they could bring in, um, you know, they could bring in incentives for to, to make it attractive, for to bring in the younger people, train them maybe in the QQI, and then maybe help them if they want to go on into nursing. There could be so much done, um, like the nurses have a register. Um, why can't we have, why can't they introduce a register for the healthcare assistants that are qualified so that people then would feel that they can go there, pick out a carer, they know they're safe, they're qualified. Um, there's so much more that we could be done, but the agencies, you see, it's a business really as well. You have to look at it, I suppose, from their point of view. They've got area managers, office managers, they have promotion managers, they've got HR departments, and they all have fuel costs and they've good wages, and I suppose a lot of the money is probably, you know, filtering, is probably going there as well, you know. Well, when, when um, at what stage do you lose the local and personal focus and then become just a logistics provider? Well, I mean, if if we're not, um, for the last two years, we've been, you know, going in and out to, to people who have COVID throughout this pandemic. And maybe we thought maybe things might improve a little bit when it got to, people got to see how we, we really need value, these carers. We've got an actual, we, our population is an aging population. This is not going to go anywhere. It's only going to get worse. And if they don't make serious changes um, with regards to keeping people in this profession, somebody's got to do it. And if there's nobody, um, if, they're, if they're constantly recruiting and they can't keep people, what's going to happen is that these elderly people are going to end up inside in homes. And we can see from the last two years just how much these people have deteriorated, not just uh, mentally, but physically also, um, from um, the lack of um, socialising and care, people visiting. And now we have them stuck in hospitals and in nursing homes because of a lack of the HSE to actually come and do something about it. Please start giving out mm-hmm. these um, funding to the carers. We've got hundreds on our, on our platform on the homecare.direct.ie. You can go in there, you can see what experience each carer has 
that would fit your loved one? Have they got experience in acquired brain injury? Have they got, you know, um, experience with dementia? And it's really a no-brainer. It's, it's just a lack of will for some reason. Um, the agencies will say to you that, oh, look, we can't pay the carers, you know, much mileage because of the, the deal we have going with the HSE. So it's a vicious kind of a cycle. Yeah. Now, the HSE have said they're currently recruiting healthcare support assistance. This is the role previously known as Home Helps. And the closing date for that is tomorrow. Now, you say at Home Care Direct you have a solution. Uh, and I wanted to get down to the problems in the system first before we you know, essentially advertise your services because I didn't want it just to be a gratuitous plug. Uh, so let's look oh, at no. let's let's look at where Home Care Direct um, have their goals uh, and where they can fit in here. Because I'm also conscious of the fact, um, you know, people should possibly not be engaging uh, home care assistance on a private basis uh, on insurance grounds. Would that be correct? Well, we are insured. Okay. Yes, we are. We're insured. We're carried vetted. We're qualified. Um, yeah. So I don't see why they can't. What you're you're not getting that with some of the agencies. They're they're hiring young people um, who aren't qualified to give them two years to qualify, and so they're going into places where they really don't know how to deal with dementia patients and stuff. So is that better? Okay. Yeah, that's that's a fair point. Now, you your feeling is that technology, and you have the technology, could be better leveraged to improve how home care is delivered in Ireland. What are the goals of HCD? To empower both the families to look for their, to have choice looking for their carers and also the carers so that they have better conditions and pay because a happy um, healthcare assistant is going to be more productive, more engaging, more, you know, they're going to be a better carer than somebody who is back to back with hours, not time to get somewhere, being paid a low wage, And to be honest, we're not against the agencies. I mean, I've no problem. We've great support in some of the agency, in in our agency. We've lovely people in the office that support us and everything. We're not against them. They have a place. But we're saying let's give uh, give people a choice. They're not the one and one one fit. It's not one size fits all, you know. Yeah. So you believe quality home care is driven by uh, offering this choice in the marketplace. The 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 goals are. Are pretty, yeah. you know, they're they're pretty noble. You, you can improve the quality of home care for families. You believe you can provide value for money. Uh, yeah. It's aimed, I suppose, at those who can afford it. Yes. Okay. Um, you, the HSE, you see, this is it. It's private people. No, uh, we have a lot of private people, but that's why we're asking the HSE that if they could, instead of just giving disability contracts to us, why don't they open it up and allow us as well to help the elderly that are waiting for care? I don't know why this is not happening. We'd like an answer to that. Okay. Why are, why are the agencies getting it? But we're we're seen as not an agency, but we're a legitimate platform of qualified carers. And let's be honest, is it not better to, to get them care and to leave them inside in, in hospitals and nursing homes? Well, I, I think many families, by necessity, have to use the presence of their loved one in a hospital bed uh, and, and not getting them home as leverage to get the home care package in place. Yeah, that's a possibility too. Yeah. So, would you say that uh, the profession, and it's a noble profession, will give your workers uh, better advancement prospects than perhaps being with uh, the other umbrella HSE and agency set up? Um, well, no, because you could advance in either of them, really. You know, um, I like I said, you know, it's it's not that um, I'm saying that it's 
we can't have obviously we can't have all private care you know and there's the agency that suits it might we're not for everybody if it's someone uh, as a client who wouldn't be able to manage their own care or they haven't got family or something they really would need an agency probably looking out for them and stuff you know mm-hmm. but um, no I think you can progress if it's up to your, your you individually you can progress with either of them you just have to have the ambition you know and you do get great support as I said but we do need a lot better conditions um, really for carers Okay and and you know that's important to note that this is important for the benefit of care Uh, as well as you're striving to organise and provide better care for the benefit of families. Yes, and we have got, it's a really rewarding job and I love it. Um, And, you know, lots of people do and there's lots of people are kind of forced out of it because of the conditions, which is a great shame because we've great carers in the agencies and on the platform. We have amazing carers um, as well with the agencies. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, we do need to to give people a choice as well. And if they're being left there without care packages because the agencies can't get in, uh, keep the the um the healthcare assistance and we really need to start looking at other models you know um such as they have in in the UK where they're actually giving the funding directly to the client and their family so that they can try and solve it for themselves okay how how do families look at your services online they can go into homecaredirect.ie and um, if they're looking for somebody, you can register. You can go through all the different uh, carers, whether you want a male or a female. You can see what experience they have. And you can then say, oh, yeah, you know, I think that, that carer, she's got great um, years of experience with dementia. She'd be great for mom or dad. And, you know, it's giving them choice where they're just getting somebody given to them from the agencies that may not have any experience at all in um in, in what their loved one needs. And it's um that's the difference as well. It's, yeah, it's but that person might tick, tick the box for the HSC that home care yeah. has been assigned, but may not be the most suitable. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right, Louise, it's a, it's a, a very interesting prospect. Homecaredirect.ie if anyone out there looking for uh, home care would like to, to look it up. And you've got a, a, agents in every area, have you? We do. It's, yeah. it's countrywide. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic to talk to you. Thanks a million, Louise. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks. Bye-bye. That's Louise from homecaredirect.ie. It's just turned two minutes to 10 o'clock on the Neil Prendival Show. We've got a great competition to tell you about just after 10 o'clock. Live at the Marquee. Fancy going to Riverdance on Sunday, June the 5th. Well, stay tuned to the Neil Prendival Show. News at 10 is next. I'm Rory. And I'm Valerie. And you can join us for the very best in local, national and international sport every weekend on The Big Red Bench. That's The Big Red Bench. Every Saturday and Sunday from 6 on Cork's Red FM. Get it off your chest. Text The Neil Prendival Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. And don't forget, our new phone number is 0818-104-106. If you want to get in touch with the uh, program. Uh, Let's go to uh, line two and to uh, Chris. Good morning, Chris. Hi, Mick. How are you? Very good. Now, you bought a van on Dundee. I did, and I have to say, it's the worst transaction I've ever made in my life. I was a total set-up, and they totally got ripped off. Okay, and did you not do any checks? Were they a verified uh, uh, I, seller? I, no, they weren't. Private seller. Um, I've, I, I I went in totally blind, to be honest with you. And to be honest, there was, like, a total cover of judgments came over my head. Okay, so it's not done deals I, fault then, totally. It's not Dundee's fault, no. It's this fella there. I went up and 
and I started to talk, I bought my own van block that brought up, broke down there last Saturday week. And so I needed a van. Okay. And I'm not walking at the moment because I'm out, I'll be sick. Now, now I know there's a story there as well. You had yeah. half your kidney removed because of cancer. Yeah, I'd have the kidney, so I'd have to walk at the moment. The van broke down. I'd no, I'd no run around. So I hit the credit only for Lord and rang around, rang around with a few cars and a few vans and got on the phone to this gentleman from County Mead and he sounded like a decent bloke, good, honest, decent bloke. And uh, he had the van up for four and a half thousand and I said, look, I'll offer you four if I come up and if it was any good and I take it away. So I had in my head, I was going up to take the van. Already, yeah. And, <laughs> that's already, called, so that's called a presumptive sale. That's a presumptive sale, and that's it. I was told by my partner, she goes, hang on, relax. You only have to get in the money. And I was, no, 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 it's grand, because we last in, and then he went very small. Lovely mm-hmm. family from West Cork, and all these in the van last me six years. And I was, oh, no, no, it's grand. So, so in, 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 the flush of, in the flush of being flush, you bought the van, uh, yeah. What, what's different to the van you bought to what you have now? It's a 1.6 diesel turbo, and the one I had is a 2.0 straight diesel. Okay. Same make model. But when I went up then anyway, I had a look at the van like that. I, I really didn't... I was naive, never gave it a proper check over. Went, so he said, we take it for a test drive. Van seemed grand. He said, right, you can drive it now. So I jumped into the van anyway and driving along. I said, look, I'm going to open up. He goes, ah, don't you open the van up now at all. He goes, there was a bit of a, uh, the guards are always up here. So, so anytime I went to open up the van, I said, ah, slow down. So I can you not know the guards are up here and I'll, I'll, I'll be done for the, for, for the, for the speeding. Okay. All this, all this. And you, you didn't have any suspicion that he didn't want you to drive it in, in any way on? On, I, I kind kind of thinking. Then I was saying to me, saying to myself, and he goes, "Look, I'll drive it up the back roads there because there's all uh, the the the, the corners and all, daddy." So he got up the back road. He, he never gave it well, you know, and mm-hmm. he beat the hog going around the corners and everything, and he deliberately concealed it. Okay, so what's wrong with the van? What's wrong with the van is I found a number. I found a number then in the van from a previous test of her previous service them. It was a lad from Dublin. And I rang that number. And they had told me, this fellow told me that he had the van for three years. I rang the number and they said they only sold the van 10 weeks ago, at most 10 weeks ago, and they sold the him for scrap because the injector was seized in the head. Oh, okay. Right. So that'll make it hard to start. No, it starts, it's driving... And it's just when you go to give it well, she goes into limp mode. Ah, okay. And the engine light, the engine light comes on. It's a safety feature. It's a safety feature, yeah, something like that. Mm-hmm. And so, so it's, you, you bought this van because you were going off to get married, I believe, and you wanted to have transport for getting back to work when you make your I'm, recovery from your cancer surgery. Uh, when you're, oh, married, yeah, when back, you're back, yeah. you want to get oh, yeah. have your transport. Yeah, I, I'm. I, I, I head to Denmark next week to get married. And I'm back to work the following Monday, and I bought the van because I was back to work on the Monday. I'd yeah. been off for the last ten weeks because I had. Okay, uh, so the van's going to get you to work, but it's not going to get you there on time, probably, unless you leave. No, it'll get, it'll get it'll get me to work. I'm just saying, 
it was the whole the whole deal, the whole telling people be careful on done deal, bring your mechanic. It's just it cuts out and it goes into your blood because uh-huh. the injector is seized. Okay, so for mechanic. And so then you're going to pull and in and, and what? Start it again or what? I have to go in, turn the light off, and start it again. Mm-hmm. And then the engine light, the engine light then comes on solid, but something. So I was talking with. Uh, I, I rang. I rang a lad in Dublin. He said that it's the third injector from the right that has to be replaced. They couldn't pull it up there. These lads came in on, on in the, and they took took it away. They they took the van away. I gave them three hundred euro to scrap it. This fellas after selling it, um, there was and I found an old CVRT sort in it from twenty nineteen. It had one hundred and seventy thousand kilometers on it. Now, two years and eight months later, it has one hundred and seventy six thousand kilometers, and the van has been in full use since then. Yeah. Okay. So legally, I want to know where I stand with this this fella. Well, there's no way you can prove that in, in those intervening two years and eight months it just did 6,000 or that it didn't, can you? Well, Unless I you can through the NCT, yeah. You, maybe you can through the NCT. I can I can through the NCT, I think. And plus, the man I've ranked at the phone on my phone said he'll give the guards a hand with anything that the information. Mm-hmm. But your money wasn't stolen, Chris. You gave it... You know, you gave it in I, good faith, yeah, admittedly, but I, 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 you gave it. I know, but, but I, you know, I wasn't told about the, the fault in the engine. Does that matter in a private it, sale? Are you buying it as is? When there's no guarantee what I, offered? That, that, that's what, no, boss, the, the, the van has to be road worried, doesn't it? I imagine. I don't know which uh, which law would supersede another here. Um, you know, caveat emptor, as they say, buyer beware. The van. The VAD, yeah, I, yeah, I'm after seeing that as well. Yeah. Anyway, on, on, on better news, you're heading to Copenhagen next Sunday to get married. Yeah, yeah. It's nice for an there, my partner. Why, why Copenhagen? Yeah. Uh, she's, uh, she's so from kid, and it's just like she's back now. We were together for two and a half years. She had to leave there six months ago. And she's back now for on a holiday visa and the teaser. We'd be waiting one year to get married. So just to go over and get it legalized and we'll have something legal when we come back. Okay. Uh, well, that's good news. And that's, yeah, that's something to look forward she's, to. She's obviously more yeah. savvy uh, on uh, on buying second-hand cars the, than, than you were yeah. at this time. Just, just looking yeah. here, uh, thanks to the guys for putting this up, private seller obligations. It's illegal to sell a car which is not roadworthy. Private yeah, sellers must give accurate and truthful answers to any questions asked of them. And a private seller does not have to provide information that is not requested. That might be the one you'll fall on there. A private seller does not have to give I information that's not requested. Him, is this fan running 100%? Well, if and you he, ask that, then no, uh, you were sold a pig no in the pole. There was no issues with this fan at all. Okay, so what's your legal recourse? Are you going to phone up the seller and say, I'm, I'm going legal with this? I've been trying to get in contact. The following day, I went straight back to the house, right? The wife turns around to me and she said, oh, he doesn't live here at all. He's gone. He, he's uh, he, he's up the country. We're separated. I goes, with the van? We saw it here in your house and the phone's just in your kitchen. Yeah. And so she's protecting him? No. So she's protecting him. No satisfaction at all. So where do you go I, from here? Do you think? I I found his address. I uh, I remember then he took me down. We posted the box. Uh, I'm after finding his address. I went to. I just remembered 
he took me down to a post office in a small village called Dulik, and I traced my way back using Google Maps back to his house. Okay. And then I went. Then I went on the airport finder, and I got his airport off the airport finder using Google Maps and using the air the airport finder. So I have his address. Okay, but you called to the house. You got sh- short shrift there as well, did you? I got short shrift there as well. Rang the guards. The guards said they can't do much about it, but they didn't want to send someone up. This. I rang the guards at about two o'clock. I was still waiting at half four. I decided to head home. And six, half past six, the guards rang me. We went, said, said that they were going to come up. Okay. Now, getting the van fixed, is that a possibility for you? It would be. How much is an injector? About 250 plus labour? Both that it's, uh, but it's kind of you feel like you're throwing good money it. after bad, don't you? That's that that that's it. I, I don't mind paying for it if I can get the van running, I, and I have to get the injector pulled. Yeah, the only one that stock has to be pulled, and then everything will be good. Do you think? I hope so. Okay, because you know, four grand is a lot to spend on a van that uh, somebody else sold for three hundred quid. Yeah, yeah, and I, 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 I've been physically sick over it. To be honest with you. Yeah, and you're not in the best of shape because you're recovering from um, a cancer operation. Yeah. Uh, but look, the one bright thing on the horizon is the wedding, and please don't, uh, at least try not to let this spoil the wedding. And the, that's the what I've been told by ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I've been told. Come back down to us, Christian. Maybe there's a gracious mechanic out there in the light of your cancer operation and the fact that, you know, you you didn't buy the best product. Maybe there's a gracious mechanic who will do, will do it for you. I don't know. Let's see. Uh, uh, look, sure. I, I, I pay for it. I, I, I pay for it myself. But I'm just telling people, be careful. Watch your boy and dealer. Who you're dealing with? Yeah, just vet, vet the people who are selling things and see if they are number one, if they're a professional seller. Uh, number two, if there's ratings on them, I suppose. Number three, it's a good feeling if you can trust them or not. And I suppose yeah, number, the number four, seriously is. inspect the product you're buying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bring a mechanic with you if it's a car. Yeah. Even a good car salesman would know the ins and outs and uh, and, and what to look for, wouldn't they? Yeah. Yeah. All right, Chris. Okay, Best Mick. Of, thanks. Go, go and get married. And de- deal with it when you come back. You never. Okay, know. Mick. Thanks for visit. Thanks. Cheers. Bye bye. Good luck. Uh, very interesting article about reasons not to move to Ireland and how the Emerald Isle disappoints. I've lived in Ireland for some quite some time now. Uh, moving during the pandemic wasn't easy, regardless of where you moved from or where you were moving to. And Ireland has not lived up to my expectations, says the writer. I've lived in the US, I've lived in Spain, I've lived in Germany, and I've spent a good amount of time travelling around mainland Europe. And uh, all that to say, this isn't my first rodeo. Uh, It wasn't my first international move, it won't be my last, but I moved to Ireland for work in the middle of the pandemic. And though my employer determined the location, I was cautiously optimistic. I associated Ireland with leprechauns, cute sayings, and stunning nature. While some of that held true, the realities of living in Dublin and Ireland were far from ideal. Let me fill you in on the drawbacks of living in Ireland that you should consider before you move here. That's if you're listening from abroad, but uh, we broadcast it for our listeners here in Cork today. One, uh, this uh, writer said, is the poor quality of infrastructure. If you've been to Central Europe, and then you know how to appreciate uh, good infrastructure, roads, hospitals, office buildings and residential buildings. On roads, I bike to and from the office. On top of the obvious lack of bike lanes all around Dublin, the quality of the pavement uh, and the streets in particular in the bike lanes is horrendous. Potholes all around the country. They can get so bad they'll toss the entire contents of your bike's basket onto the road if you are not slowly and carefully navigating so as to avoid the potholes. Buildings 
If you've ever lived in Spain or Germany, you'll know how much they value high-quality windows. Ireland is much more similar to the UK when it comes to windows. You can expect a lot of sound, moisture and cold air to get through all the windows in your home. When it comes to public transport, I've lived in the centre of Dublin. Thankfully, I can walk almost everywhere I need to go, but if I'm ever required to go somewhere using public transport, my day falls apart. Taking a bus through the city centre can be painful as pulling teeth. More than once I've been in a bus that travelled one kilometre in 20 minutes, meaning it would have been faster for me to walk from A to B than to step into that vehicle. Uh, If you have to fly anywhere or anywhere else in Europe, God help you. As an American living in Europe, I'm a sucker for trains. Train travel is very comfortable. A city's main train station is usually near the city centre. There's a lot less overhead time in getting to the station, checking in and security that you'd have in an airport. A lot of times travelling by train is faster door-to-door than flying. Uh, But even if you don't like driving or you like the stomach-dropping experience of turbulence, it's generally better to have options when it comes to long-distance transportation. Uh, The Dublin airport, rather inaccessible as well and crowded uh, at security. Only one public bus that goes from the city centre to the airport. Another detracting factor of moving to Ireland from abroad, uh, this writer says, is the heavy drinking culture. The Irish sure do love their beer and whiskey. I'm a social drinker myself and I like going out to bars and even the occasional club once in a while. But the general lack of things to do in Dublin and around Ireland leads to a narrow choice of social plans and drives you on uh, into the pub and your social plans have a high chance of involving alcohol. Now, no car equals no fun is another one. Ireland's not a huge country, but even so, unless you're looking to get around within Dublin or maybe within Cork City, you're going to need a car. Eating out is expensive. The median income of an Irish household was €43,552 Euro in 2019. Most of my friends earn about 27000 for the first few years out of university. Rent prices are among the highest in the world, where the average cost of renting a one-bedroom apartment cost €1,643. Euro. Not much money left over at the end of a month. Uh, so uh, you might be able to find a cheap uh, chipper or donner place to get some student food. But I've yet to find a donner, personal pizza or sandwich for less than €8 Euros in Ireland. Not so on the continent. Another attracting factor is the high turnover of residents. Making friends is always a big challenge and concern when you move to a new city or country. Uh, the writers moved around a lot in life to different countries and continents. Speaking the local language is a big help in making friendships that will last. So I thought I wouldn't have any problems as I'm a native English speaker. Although it was quite easy to make friends pretty quickly after moving, the biggest uh, challenge in Ireland is making friends that don't move away. Uh, and this is why Ireland shouldn't be your number one country to move to. I don't even have this writer's name, but it's a very interesting article. The fact that it's English-speaking makes Ireland quite accessible to non-Europeans. Due to its favourable uh, corporate tax rates, a lot of tech companies create plenty of job opportunities here for skilled workers. And getting a work visa isn't too difficult. Relatively easy to get sponsored by an employer here for a work visa if you're looking to work towards an EU citizenship. However, this is the hub and the nub of the issue. The quality of life in Ireland is significantly lower than in Central Europe. A very high cost of living and not a commensurably high rate of income means your budget in Ireland will definitely be tighter than in other European countries. It can also feel isolating since after investing time and energy into building up friendships, a lot of people, both Irish and other expats, moved away. I moved here on a whim for work, but I wouldn't recommend it to others. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818-104-106. Red FM. 25 past 10. A very good morning from the Neil Prenderville Show. This is Mick Mulcahy. And good morning to Annette. 
Good morning, Nick. How are you? I'm very good. You're feeling, uh, you're sounding uh, very chirpy and upbeat anyway, but you're in bits. Uh, sure. You're in bits. Right. <laughs> well, I'll put you like this. I'm bright and bubbly this morning, but you know yourself now, with this HRT thing, you could go downhill in a flash. Okay. HRT, hormone replacement therapy. Are you on it? That's it. Mm-mm. So, thankfully, we are becoming a little bit more educated with um, the requirements for HRT and the reason why women need to be on it as early as possible. But unfortunately, the shortage is crazy, you know. And, yeah, I, um, I suppose if, you, if, if I want to be the devil's advocate, it's because of the shortage that people are getting educated. Mm. Mm, it is really, it is. And I suppose the other thing as well is that we had a, another documentary by Davina McCall last night on Channel 4. And that was her second one. It was a follow-up one to the first one. And the first one was a massive eye-opener for everybody, but definitely for women, um, to, to see just how much of a difference HRT can make in your life. And you don't... When, when, you're, when you're going through, or when you're starting to go through the perimenopause and you're starting to hit that age, you, every day something else feels different. But you think it's just your body, your aging, or whatever, you know? you don't realise it's actually your hormone depleting in your body and it's causing the issues that the HRT can fix. But most of us women didn't know that. And a lot of women probably still don't know that. And a lot of doctors don't even seem to be totally on board with it either, which is, you know, which is quite scary, especially given the vast amount of things that it affects women, the way it affects them. When, When, Annette, was your introduction to the concept of hormone replacement therapy? Um, it is just over a year ago now that a friend of mine said to me that she had joined this group on Facebook and, and it was called the Irish Menopause. And I was like, all right, grand. I said, Jesus, I said, thank God I'm years, I'm years from needing that sort of thing, you know. And she said to me, you'll be surprised, actually. So she said, well, I add you to the group. I said, do add away. Ah, uh, Mick, what an eye-opener when I joined the group. And I realized that half of the things that I felt were wrong in my body were because of a lack of hormone. But I thought it was just down to, I don't know, aging. Now, I did have a car crash as well. I had a serious car crash a couple of years back. And I thought all the joint pain, and you know, and a lot of joint pain now. I was, I was quite, it was an agony a lot for a lot of the time, you know. And a lot of other things, digestive issues, um, brain fog, brain fog, it's horrible. Um, yeah, just so many things that I Can I ask the question were, that men are not so, meant to ask women? At what age? <laughs> You see, this is the thing. For me, I, like, I'm 47 now, so I would have started on HRT when I was 46. Um, some women need to start it, start an awful lot earlier than that, and some women may not need it at all. That's the beauty about it, you know? It's, very, it's a very individual thing. Um, so for me, I started at 46, and slowly but surely, I've now, this is going to sound weird, I feel at times like I'm almost getting younger because my body feels better feel so much better. Um, as I said, I had a car crash a couple of years back, so I had a lot of joint pain, aches and pains, blah, blah, blah. I also had, was told I had fibromyalgia, <clears throat> excuse me, and a lot of aches and pains and joint pains associated with that as well. But since I went on the HRT, my joint pain um, has diminished by about 60%. Okay. What's perimenopause as, as against menopause? Perimenopause is where the hormone is starting to deplete slowly and you're starting to get some symptoms such as night sweats hot flushes during the day um trouble sleeping trouble sleeping is a really really big one um yeah you're maybe even starting to notice notice digestive issues joint pain is a big one 
um, brain fog. Yeah, there's so, so many things that come under the heading. And as, as you go from perimenopause into menopause, so menopause is where basically your periods have stopped completely and you're no longer um, releasing eggs, you're not fertile anymore. Um, now, this is not 100% because I'm no expert in this, but, um, and so basically you stop, you stop producing eggs, your hormones are, are almost gone out of your body, and so then you're in a full menopause. Okay, that sounds so very, very scary. Well, unfortunately, Mick, as we, women, we have no choice in the matter. <laughs> we just have no choice. We have to deal with it. It's just part and parcel of it. We go from being young and start menstruating where we have, you know, awkward times and we're pregnant and then now we're in menopause. So we really don't get a break, you know. Yeah. You really don't get a break. Men- mentally, um, mentally, though, how does, how does it feel to be... They call it the change in life or the change of life, I suppose. Well, it is, and it's a massive change, and it's an awful lot to deal with because, you know, you have all these symptoms, right? And if you're not, if you don't know what these symptoms are, if you, you know, like I said, a lot of women still don't realize that it's HRT they need to get rid of these symptoms. But when you don't know that, you think you're going bloody crazy. Because you're going like, I should be fit, I should be healthy, I should be fine, I should be able to get up and get on with my day. But you can't because you've got, you just feel you're so worn out because your body is fighting a humongous battle. And it's an unseen battle, you know. Um, It's going on in your body because your hormone is going and the rest of your body is trying to manage without it, and it cannot manage without it. It needs to be there. So you're going to get, like, vertigo, you're going to get anxiety for no reason, you're going to get joint pain, dizziness, yeah. uh, like electric shock to the head. The, yeah, or the electric shock to terrible as well. But the anxiety is horrible because you really think you're losing your mind. You don't, you, you just, you, you don't know what's going on. You, like, you, as I said, you're fighting this battle, your body is fighting a battle, but your brain is fighting a battle as well. Because you're telling yourself... Come on now, Annette, you're only 46. Do you know what I mean? You shouldn't be feeling like an 86-year-old. Do you know what I mean? What's wrong with you? Cop on now and get on with things, you know? Okay. And you, 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 you just have this battle in your head all the time. And when you start getting the information, like I said, this group on Facebook called the Irish Menopause is incredible. When you start getting the information, you go into this group and you start seeing other women's stories and everything, and you're going, oh, my God, I, I'm, I'm actually not going crazy. I just need HRT. You know, it's that simple. And, and, and the problem is, is that, you know, not everybody's GP is up to date when it comes to HRT. There's reasons why women can't take it. Some women may have had breast cancer. They say HRT is not suitable for that then because it increases the hormone too much, can put you at risk. Everybody is at risk. Every woman is at risk of breast cancer once, once you start HRT. What's causing just the shortage, Annette? We don't know. I don't know. Um, all I know is that it's been absolutely ridiculous in Ireland for the last six months. Women are literally on the group and they are crying with fear because they're not able to get their prescription. Um, because they, they're like, literally what they're saying in now, they're saying, we can't, w- 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 this is a necessary medication. Why are we being forced to fight for it? Why, like, why is it that some places, some counties, in some towns can get it, no problem, and others can't? It, just does, it beggars belief why that is. And I'll tell you one thing, and a lot of people completely agree with this. 
if it was men who needed this medication, there would be a huge supply of it. But because it's women, it's not there. If it was Viagra, and for instance. Absolutely. You can get Viagra over the counter now, can't you? You know? You can buy it. You can just walk into the chemist and buy it. I suppose what, I'm, what I'm trying to get at is that this isn't a, a niche issue. This isn't a feminist issue. This is this is something that's affecting, uh, you know, uh, a gender every that makes woman. up more than half of our population. Exactly. And I mean, every woman you look at, Nick, from the ages of 45 or there or thereabouts upwards, every single woman needs to be on HRT. <clears throat> Unless, of course, they can't take it. So every woman you look at, when you walk down the street, the people that you meet, the women in your life, they all should be taking HRT in some form or another to help them deal with the depleting hormone. So even in the mid-40s, women, you're saying, with no apparent symptoms or maybe just the niggly little ones that they're wondering. Maybe the niggly little ones, yeah. yeah. Well, the documentary last night with Davina McCall was incredibly interesting. There's two um, lady doctors in America have done this study and they found that Starting HRT early, as in when the women are starting to come into perimenopause, is now showing that it is um, reducing a big amount the risk of developing Alzheimer's and dementia in later life. Wow, that's heavy. Now, that is huge. And as I said, that only was broadcast last night, so maybe a lot of people haven't heard that. And if you go into care homes in and around Ireland, we'd say, for instance, there's a lot of women in there who have Alzheimer's and dementia. Now, there's men too, but what I'm saying is that predominantly it's women. And so is there there's serious belief in this research coming out now that women should be on the HRT from as early as, as soon as they start getting the first perimenopause. Okay, and let's stay with me for the moment. Fiona, good morning. Sure. Morning. Hi, now you're saying some GPs are clueless to all things menopausal. Well, from my experience, yes. Uh, I mm-hmm. I am forty three, and I um, had went into surgical menopause. Um, I was diagnosed with the BRCA gene, BRCA two, when I was thirty two, and um, mm-hmm. I hadn't even started a family. Um, so when I completed my family, um, I decided to have my uh, first stage of my surgery, which was my ovaries and fallopian tubes. So I had them removed in 2019 when my daughter was three months old. Um, and I can honestly say from the minute I woke up after that surgery, my life was like, I was like, a, it was like a different life. I was like a different person. Um, um, Better or worse? Prepared. Worse. Okay. Very much worse. Um, I wasn't prepared. Um I wasn't, and I don't know, it's probably 50-50. I don't think I was given enough information about what I was about to do. I probably didn't ask enough questions, but when you, when you're, when you know that you're a ticking time bomb, essentially, with this, with this um, gene, um, you know, I was kind of, I was kind of not, not forced, but I was kind of advised that as soon as I should have my ovaries and tubes out because it would reduce my risk of developing ovarian or breast cancer by 50% just by having my tubes and ovaries. So that was a no-brainer. I was always going to have that surgery. Um, But literally, I went for that surgery as one person and I woke up two minutes after my surgery. I woke up and I was in in menopause um, that quick. And it was my life changed then. Um, I don't regret having the surgery. Obviously, I had to have it. You needed it, Um, yeah, of course. But the problem was I I wasn't put on any HRT. 
and I was left with nothing and uh, because I was told uh, I couldn't go on anything until I'd had my uh, preventative double mastectomy, which I had um, in January 2020. Um, so I, w- I woke up from that surgery with nothing. So I was, I had no ovaries, no tubes, um, no testosterone, nothing. And I had, I was left for almost a year um, suffering. I thought this was normal. Obviously, I can't have any meds. They're telling me I have to wait until six months after my double mastectomy. Um, so I had my surgery, my double mastectomy in January of 2020. And then six months later, I was put on um, patches, um, Everall County patches. I wasn't, I didn't know what they were going to do. Like I said, I just kind of did what I was told, um, which is not like me. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, I was put on the patches and um, I started bleeding. And I bled for a year on those patches. Every time I went to ask for advice or ask somebody about it, like they're like, no, it'll take, the patches will work. You just need to give them a chance. And I felt awful. I mean, I was exhausted. I had three little kids under the age of six at the time. Um, and I was wrecked. And I'm I'm a, normally a very fit, healthy person, work full time. Mm-hmm. Um, Fiona, are there menopausal specialist consultants? There are, but you have to... Um, Let me guess, expensive and a waiting list. Yeah, so... Yeah. so Cut a long story short, a very long story short, um, the patches weren't working and nobody would do my bloods. And when I insisted on having bloods done, well, actually, went to, when I went to the GP the first time to discuss it, his answer was, uh, let me stop you there. Um, being, being a male doctor, I don't know anything about it. So already, that was my first <clears throat> experience. I'm going through hell and then that's what I'm met with. And I thought, so basically... If I come in here, a man, you'd be able to help me. Um, so obviously I burst out crying in my appointment and I thought, what am I going to do? Like I, I'm, I'm only 41 years of age and my life, I put on three stone and they hadn't done my blood test. I was exhausted. I thought, this is not like me. I'm well able to work full time, look after my kids. This can't be just the menopause. And I fought to have bloods done, got bloods done and then unfortunately found out that I had underactive thyroid linked with having my surgeries and ended up with that on top of everything else. Um, So in the end, I got referred to a a female GP, but she wasn't a menopause specialist. She was a GP that had an interest in it. Um, So I put myself on the waiting list. I got somebody introduced me to the Facebook page. Oh my God, what a godsend. You can literally go on there morning, noon or night and... You can scream, you can say whatever you want on there, and every, it's just amazing because sometimes I feel like I'm constantly whining or whinging about my symptoms, and I don't want to anymore because I think people are probably thinking, oh my God, you're only going through the menopause. But actually, I, I didn't just go through the menopause. I, I had to go into forced menopause, and um, it wasn't natural. I didn't have the peri stages. I didn't have the little symptoms. I literally went to sleep, had my surgery, woke up, bang, that was it my life changed and I wasn't prepared for it. I genuinely wasn't. And it's just everything that comes with it. Like I had to pay for a, a Zoom call with one of the mentors um, on the on the menopause, the Facebook page, the Irish menopause. I had to pay to have a one-to-one Zoom with somebody because I literally had no 
confidence in anyone in my GP surgery. Okay, where, where, where are you at now, Fiona, with it all? So I, after the bloods and everything, found out that the patches I was on for a year weren't even doing anything. So I'm still, I'm still kind of testing. I'm still on different meds. We're still trying to um, kind of titrate all different meds because some are not working, some are working. Um, I'm finally on testosterone, um, the gel, and which I waited nearly 10 years to be put on it, and I was exhausted when I wasn't on it. Um, but obviously, I'm still not... I'm, I'm tired all the time. Um, I put on like three stone in weight, um, mm. can't shift it. You know, it, 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 it's, it's a lot for a woman to... Mm. To pro, you know, to process yeah. when you when you when there's no one that you can just walk into your surgery and there's someone there that knows everything. I had to print off everything from the files on the Facebook page and put it in an envelope with highlights on it, saying like this is what happens, this is what happens. Like my GP, like high cholesterol is comes with kind of parts and parcels. Some people get um, high cholesterol. Now I I am not. I don't eat bad foods. You know, I have a treat like everybody else. My cholesterol went from like five to eight point something in a matter of a couple of months and my GP told me um, that I need to um, exercise and go on a low fat diet and it was nothing to do with that. I found the, the thank, thankfully for the Facebook page, everything is on there and I was able to print off and pull the information to say, well actually no, have you not thought that it might be because of this, this, this and highlight it. and I have to put the stuff in oh. an envelope and send it into my GP sure. prior to my appointment so they it's, can read up on it, you know. It seems, it I've seems, been on a waiting, it seems incredible. I've been, on a waiting list for, yeah, I've been on a waiting list for two years for three different menopause specialist clinics, which I would have to probably borrow the money to go to this sure, appointment. Sure, why, why doesn't every GP practice have, you know, with women making up more than half of the population, mm. uh, a menopausal expert or at least someone they can call on? Uh, yeah, well, uh, without having to pay for it, like, yeah. I, you know, it's 200, over 200 pounds for, you know, um, to go and see somebody for half an hour. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, if this was a men's problem, would it be different, do you think? Um, I don't know if it would be different. I just, I, I, I don't know. I, I think, I think, um, I never, heard, I've never heard anyone uh, or anybody or anything talk so much about HRT in the last six, nine months. Um, mm. you'd never hear people talking about it before all this has happened with the shortages and everything. I hadn't a clue what HRT was. I mean, my mother went through it, but I never, I obviously never knew how bad it was for mm. her. I mean, some people, I have a friend, she has, she's gone through it and not a bother, you know? Can, and, can I read a text and, to you ladies from, from Richie and Toker? I'm sorry now, he says, but these selfish cisgendered females are just going to have to know their place. Stay quiet, please. Wait your turn and be an ally to your trans women sisters who need HRT more than you do. Ah, uh, here now. We're not choosing to go through the menopause. That person, trans person, has chosen to do this because obviously they feel they need to. But, like, don't tell me that I have to wait in line. I shouldn't have to wait in line. I am suffering just as much as anybody else. I, I believe um, that the number of trans women taking HRT to be very small anyway and probably not mm-hmm. uh, in a huge way contributing towards the shortage. No, but I, I wouldn't yes, think I so. Chose, no. I, I chose to, to have that surgery because of my, my risk of getting cancer. I've You're got danger, yes, You know what too. I mean? I, of mm. course, I mean, if, if someone said to you, if you don't 
cut that finger off now, you'll die tomorrow. You'd cut your finger off. Do you know what I mean? Of course. I know it's a, yeah, of course. You know. Know. So, yeah. yeah, I did choose to have it. And I'm very lucky at the minute because actually I haven't, I, I haven't not, had, not been able to get my meds as yet. So touch wood, you know, and, I, I, and when I read all the people putting their messages up on the Facebook page, on the menopause page, you know, and I think, oh my God. And yes, I am very lucky mm. that I've been able to get my meds because if I forget to take any of my tablets, I'm literally falling asleep at the table at two o'clock yeah. in the day. And I think, oh my God, have I taken my meds? You know, and you know, it, it's, a, it's such a routine. You don't just get up and swallow a couple of pills. You have mm-hmm. to take one in the morning. You have to put a bit of gel, pea size inside in your, your thigh, pea yeah. size on the outside of your thigh, one on your arm, a patch here, a tablet here, a pessary Magnesium there, is know? a big element, is it? Magnesium? Well, you, you can, you're supposed to take a supplement, aren't you? But yeah. In my, yeah. my blood's done regularly now. I, I don't take any... I know, what I'm, I know what I need. I know what I'm supposed to have now. And that's all thanks to the, the mentors and the people on the, on the group. So okay. I go in and I say, this is what I want you to do in my blood today. I want this, I want that. And I know yeah. I'm not rude about it, but I thought... I, I did it for a year and a half and not one person listened to me. And I came out crying from every appointment. I thought, I can't, I can't carry on like this. I can't. My well, people are listening to you now. We're, we're getting inundated with text, which I'll read after the commercial break. I've got Sally Ann as well, who's been holding, who founded oh, the... Oh, Sally uh, Ann is amazing. Thank you, Sally Ann. We'd have been lost only for her. Uh, a fi- yeah. Final yeah. words from you, Annette. I've given Fiona some time there. Do you want to say a few final words? Um, I'll take a break yeah, and go just, to Sally Ann. Just that I, I think, you know, it's great that the, the, the group that Sally Ann and Claire set up is there. And it's great that people, women are finally getting the information they need. But even now, like Fiona just said, you have to, you know, you have to get the information and you have to bring it to your GP because, you know, they don't know anything about it or very few of them do. And that's fine. But the GPs need to listen to the women. When we say that we're suffering, we're suffering. Women don't go in willy nilly. You know what I mean? So, like, when we're saying we're suffering, we're suffering. And also, I think that there should be um, a department somewhere within the government where they're looking into providing more specialists free, because why should women have to pay for this? It's not our choice to go into it. Yes, Fiona's was different, but she probably would have, you probably would have hit menopause eventually anyway, Fiona. You know, yes. so, I mean, and, you know, there should be more specialists there. And there should not be a shortage of this vital medication for women. Okay. It is not good enough in this day and age that there isn't enough medication out there for women. Annette and Fiona, thank you very much. I'll ask you to stay Thanks listening. We'll have Sally Ann after the break. Thanks a million. Thanks very much. Sally Ann, good morning. Thank you for holding. I'll be back to you in a moment uh, to continue our discussion because I think the, uh, no the, the, the amount of airtime that we're giving it uh, is warranted. I think it's a hugely important subject. Absolutely. Thanks, Sally Ann. Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. And a very good morning. It's 10 minutes to 11 and a huge response to our topic on the menopause. Sally Ann, thank you for holding. You're the founder of the Irish Menopause, a Facebook group. You have 34,000 members now. Good morning, Neil. Thank you. That's correct. It's Mick, actually. Thank you for giving this the airtime it deserves. No problem. Now, um, I was surprised uh, with our previous two callers, uh, you know, claiming menopausal symptoms in the early to to mid-40s. Oh, I started mid-30s. You got the menopause at 36. Yeah, and it's a funny thing. (laughs) 
Perimenopause is a very long journey, as is puberty. No child ever went to bed at night and woke up an adult the next morning. It takes years, a natural menopause. So it might sound like very early, but it wasn't really. Our hormones start to change from about 35 onwards. And some women notice symptoms in their mid to late 30s. Some they only notice in 40s. It's very unique to the individual. But it's a very, very long journey from when the hormones start to change to when you have your very, very last period. It takes years. Okay, so you set up this group because you essentially lost some years of your life before before yeah. discovering, and finding out about and, and getting on HRT. Absolutely, a bit like what those um, lovely ladies, Annette and Fiona, were sharing there. I, I lost years of my life, unnecessary suffering, and I got sorted, and I, I was left scratching my head as to... Why did it take so long? Why will, you know, it's like having a, a headache for years and nobody tells you there's such a thing as pain relief and then you get the pain relief and you're like, oh my goodness, why was this denied from me? So I had this, I said people need to know about this and myself and my very good friend Claire, we said we need to give women the correct information so they can make their own decisions. So we set up the group, the two of us, which started to grow. And here we are now, Just we're just gone three, three years on, we're heading for 35,000 members. And what we do is we provide women with the correct information and it's up to themselves then what they do about it or where they go. And just listening to those ladies, I, I think it's actually heartbreaking that they need to resort to a Facebook group for information on their menopause. That's not right. And this is something that, like, I have worked with the Department of Health for awareness and stuff, and I've always said this. It's not up to a social media platform to do this. This needs to be part, part of the HSE and part of everything we do now. And things are improving. Although you have, to, you have to, to, to be fair, you have to say that this is an area in which Facebook uh, can be of huge assistance in Absolutely. disseminating information. Yes, you're correct. Yeah, it's a wonderful platform. Yeah, absolutely. Used correctly. And exactly, exactly. And we're an evidence-based group and we're very passionate about providing the most up-to-date information we can get our hands on. And we're not medical ourselves, mm. but we're well-researched. On, on, that, on that subject, Sally, and I know you're not a clinician and not medical, but can I just mm. read you a, a, a specific text from Diane? I'm 34 yes. and feel like I'm premenopausal for the last year. They say premenopause... Okay lasts about 10 years. People laugh at me all the time when I say it, but I started my period at just nine years old, so it's plausible. Uh I also have a relation who went through early menopause. My doctor has put me on evening primrose oil four months ago, and I have to say, wow, the difference I feel mentally and physically. I thoroughly recommend it to anyone who has refused HRT or want a natural supplement. As I say, I only feel I'm in the premenopausal stage with a year. Uh, So evening primrose oil may not be as effective for someone in the later stages of it. Are you aware of that? correct. Yeah, and it has a place. And, and this lady, is 30, she's 34 years old, Diane, and I'm delighted to hear that she's, she's finding it beneficial. And even primrose oil has been around forever, and it's very helpful for PMS, PMT, and hormonal imbalances. But it won't cut the mustard for menopause. She's probably at that starting point where things are starting to go a little bit wonky on her, and I can retrospectively look back and recognize it now, going, oh, yeah, things were... And what happens is, you're still having regular periods, and you've no other signs... So the first symptom, interestingly, is the brain registers changes in the hormones before anything else. So your first symptom is usually anxiety and lack of sleep. And that comes before anything else. And you're generally at that age where you have so much going on, probably with kids and career and aging parents, that would never tell you to be nothing up with your hormones. 
Okay, I didn't get that last bit. It's a, it's, it's not a great phone line. Could you repeat that last line? Oh, sorry, sorry. I'm no, just no saying it would never dawn on you at that age that it could be your hormones because you've so much going on in your life at midlife. Mm-hmm. You know, in thirties and forties. Yeah, and and it is is often the drive to mind essentially young children uh, a detracting factor in recognizing the fact that hang on, everything's not right here. Yeah, and and there's so much that can be missed as well. And what's interesting as well is when a woman has a child over the age of 35, it can spring more due into perimenopause. And you might not recognize it because you've got a baby or a toddler or whatever, and you think, well, I'm tired because I'm minding the child and life is busy. And this is really common as well. The same with breastfeeding moms, that they have suppressed hormones and they'll feel absolutely horrendous. And you'll put it down to, well, I'm breastfeeding, I'm exhausted. So menopause is always missed, is what I'm saying. Always missed. I still deal with women who are in their late 40s, early 50s, asking me, am I not a bit young? Mm-hmm. This starts from your 30s, and we need to be aware of this. And that documentary that was on last night, I have to say, I was gleaming from ear to ear. It was phenomenal. And what it has done is Channel 4 have validated everything we're all saying for years. Okay, but but now you have to necessarily forge a pathway through the political intrigue, if you like, to get some recognition and some services and some probably some funding to put experts in place across the country. Absolutely, and I don't know if you're aware, but the Department of Health are opening specialist menopause clinics. There's six of them now. There was to be four around the country in the public sector. So that's actually a very big thing because it's the first time in the history of the state we have menopause over the door of a clinic. Fantastic. They're recognising it. It, it, And that has been achieved to date. Obviously, the HRT area, I mean, women want HRT for free. That's a whole other conversation that will probably happen in time. Then we've got these current shortages. Sally, I'm I'm out of time. I'm I'm absolutely out of time. The Facebook group is called what? The Irish Menopause Group. The Irish Menopause Group. Thank you very much for speaking so eloquently on the subject and very best of luck to you and your 35,000 followers. Thanks, Sally Ann. Thank you very much, Neil. Thank you. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national, and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. 104 to 106, Red FM. This is the Neil Frienderville Show. Now, with a busy last hour, I didn't get to mention our big competition this week. It's live at the Marquee. It is Riverdance on Sunday, the 5th of June. And we have summer sorted for you on the Neil Prandeville Show. We have a pair of tickets each day to Riverdance on Sunday, June the 5th. Each daily winner will be entered into a draw then. And at the end of the week, we'll have their prize, that particular winner's prize upgraded to include a pre-concert meal for two people at Sober Lane, which is Cork's lively gastro pub in the heart of the city. So we've got your summer sorted with the hottest tickets around for Live of the Marquee, which is all, of course, kicking off. All the fun is kicking off on May 27th. And what we're going to ask you to do is guess the artist and title of these two Eurovision songs, Riverdance, of course, featuring very prominently in the history of Eurovision. Now, we don't want you to call just now, and I will play them again around uh, 25, 30 minutes' time. Uh, but when we open the lines just before 12, we'll be asking you to identify the these two Eurovision songs. Wow, okay, that was quick. Let's give it a second spin for you. Don't 
Some are sorted with Red FM a pair of tickets each day to Riverdance on Sunday the 5th of June. I'll play it again in about a half an hour's time for you and uh, we'll open the lines closer to 12 midday. Huge response on our HRT shortage item. Some women struggling with untreated menopausal symptoms due to shortages of some types of hormone replacement therapy. A number of women who rely on the medicine reporting feeling suicidal uh, without it. And some of your comments, ask your doctor, as you can often get alternatives like a patch instead of a gel uh, or a spray instead of the gel. Your doctor should advise you about an equivalent. What about us poor women who've suffered for years and can't take HRT due to family history? Is there an alternative? We've to suffer on no matter what. How all the symptoms for years were put down to women going mad, etc. It truly can be debilitating. The lack of sleep alone, not to mind the joint pain. Call to your local health food shops, says another texter. They should be able to help you. Just ring the doctor and order the next dose up. I did, and I'm doing well. Uh, I've just experienced the same problem. I've got a month uh, more uh, in my supply, so I don't know what I'm going to do next month. With these shortages now and in the last few years, it's not on, really. Uh, we don't run out of insulin. HRT for women is a treatment that is the same as insulin. It's difficult to see women going through this. And a text from Desi to Richie from Toker. I'm a man, says Desi, and that was a disgraceful and uncalled for statement and comment that you made. And a texture says, I too have experienced uh, what the girls were going through with my male doctor. I'm 52 and over the last few years, I felt my body not right at all. I'm exhausted. My attitude is up and down. No periods for years. And when I asked, can he do bloods to check, I was told, why? They'll tell you nothing. Totally dismissive about how I was feeling. I'm now gone and seeing another doctor. After making a uh, feeling very foolish about uh, going about it, I did. Uh, and I must say I'm getting great advice now. Back to the topic and line one and to Pauline. Good morning, Pauline. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. Now, you had a total hysterectomy at the early age of 42. I did. I did. And um, I just could totally relate to that lady while ago who was speaking. Um, the minute I woke up from surgery, my life was changed. And not for the better. Straight away. And not for the better, no. It's it has been a long struggle to improve to the way I feel now, I have to say. We have been um, talking predominantly, Pauline, about the manifestation of physical symptoms. What about, for just for a moment, how did you feel mentally? Mentally, it was the biggest change for me, mentally. I thought I was cracking up. And... There wasn't really anyone my age group I could say it to, simply because they weren't going through it at the time, and um, because they were too young, um, obviously. Um, and going into a medical-induced menopause is a crash-bang landing, crash-bang landing. I remember one day, a good few months after, sitting at the opposite side of the table to my husband and I cried and cried and cried and was trying to tell him, I will never, ever again be the same person, ever. And that is exactly how I felt. You were 42. You don't mind me yeah. saying you're 58 now. Yeah. 
So in those 16 years, of course, we've seen the advent of social media. We've seen how platforms like Facebook can help because you had nobody to reach out to, really. No, no, no. Now, my own doctor um, was super, super, I have to say. Um, She gave me HRT a good few months after. God, I'd say I didn't start it. Maybe for a year after I started it, but I was nervous about being honest because of everything you'd hear. Mm-hmm. So I stayed on it for maybe a year or two, tried coming off it. I couldn't because I'd, I'd, I'd feel 10 times worse. Um, but eventually, because I was so petrified of being on it, I came off it, and that's exactly the way I am today. Why, why did you feel I, petrified, Pauline? Um, just because of the side effects that people spoke about, you know, like um, maybe breast cancer, all this kind of thing, and I felt I just could not cope with any more. In the sense of that way, you know, I didn't want to put myself... Now, this is what I felt. I didn't want to put myself um, under any more strain of maybe being the cause of getting it by taking HRT. And really, I would say to anyone who's on HRT... Take it because it honestly the benefits of it would outweigh, you know, your mm-hmm. everyday life definitely. And where do you I stand now with it? Are, are you on it or not on it? I'm not on it. I'm not on it. I'm on nothing for menopause. Nothing. Nothing because I don't know where to go. And I felt any avenue really that I went, that people, you you just feel a bit alien in the sense of, I can't keep complaining about this. You know the symptoms you have. You try and hide them as best you can. Also, like that other lady, I uh, have an underactive thyroid as well. Um, it's it's just mind blowing, but we do need somewhere to turn to to get advice on what to do and how to handle it. Now I'm managing away. I've just resigned to this is the way it is, you know. Um, but just know that it is different for every. I I, I would imagine, I I would imagine, and that's not, of course, not from a female perspective, but I would imagine every woman's experience of the menopause is as individual as their fingerprints. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Like, I envy a woman, we'd say, who had an easy transition. They're, They're there as well. But my God, there are an amount of women 
who really, really, really struggle with it. It's really an interesting perspective, Pauline, that you, you've used the term transition. Uh, because yeah. it may not feel like a transition when you're stuck in the middle of it, but, uh, you know, if you can survive it, uh, both physically and mentally, if you can guide and navigate your body through it, it is just that, yeah. a transition. Yeah, yeah. But I would still say for myself, it, as, as they say, it isn't called the change for nothing. Mm-hmm. It is life-changing. It is really, and it's not all... For the good, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it it just it's inexplainable. Some really. textures, Pauline, are, are suggesting that a lot of doctors, through lack of knowledge on the subject, really, uh, are te- have a tendency to prescribe uh, antidepressants rather than uh, HRT. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if that's what's needed, it has to be. It has to be available, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I wouldn't deny it. I have to take an antidepressant myself to, um, and it has helped me, I have to say. It certainly has helped me. How is Just life now in general, Pauline? How is life in general compared to the darkest of times uh, with this oh, affliction, condition? It, it, it's great. It's great, I have to say. I got through it. I got through it. But it was hard. And I was very, very lucky to have had good support. I mean, my poor husband, I'm sure, could write the book on it at this stage. But, um, and I wonder if it were the other way around, would I have been as supportive, you know? Because... I look back on some days and it was bloody tough. It was tough. I never again want to go back there. But now I'm I'm proud of myself. And, and so and so you should be. And you, and you seem to me yeah. anyway to be mentally very strong now and in a much better place. But you've you've touched on a on a very salient point there in in that uh, also men need to be educated as to what their partners might be going through. Uh, oh, and, and also you know, also have that little latitude and that little empathy uh, that maybe yeah. they, they, you know, they, maybe they don't understand what's going on, uh, but maybe yeah. they should be educated a little more on what could be going on. Yeah, that was worth the word to me. And my husband learned firsthand. He had no one to tell him about it, really. But I must say, I had good support. I had good support, and I have I had good support from my own family doctor as well. She's very understanding, very understanding. Um, you know, I honestly think I wouldn't have been. I I probably felt like I wouldn't be here today only for them. Okay, you know. Um, You're very kind to come on and and and, and thank you for telling your story. Road. Yeah, yeah, it is a hard road, and women should get be able to get support for it. Um, you you had cysts on your ovaries, so yeah, and you also yes. had uh, endometriosis. Uh, yes. So so it was it was an imposed surgery really that that's not a choice you have you got to go and get it done but you weren't at all yeah uh, told to, what might I happen on the to. other side of the surgery oh god no 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 and that's really important too now for what I was suffering 
before I had the hysterectomy, I don't care if, if, they, if they told me, if they had told me, I'd still have gone ahead with it to get a bit of ease and a bit of comfort. You know, yeah. it wasn't easy at either side of it. But just you need support after it. You need support after having the surgery, number one, or even going through menopause naturally. You need support, you know. Pauline, thank you so much for coming on. Very brave of you. And uh, you've, I think you've given a lot of women a little bit of solace, a little bit of direction, a little bit of information that they might benefit from. I hope so. I hope so. Thanks, Pauline. And thanks, Mick. Thanks. All thank the best. Thank you. Uh, good morning to you. Now, let's uh, just uh, wrap up here with the uh, the pertinent texts on this topic. Is there anything a nutritionist could recommend diet-wise that might help some of the symptoms? There's a nutritionist out there. Please get in touch. Our phone number is 0818 We have huge problems here in the UK with shortages too. This is another failing by our Minister for Health, says another texture. Again, women's issues are not top of the agenda. Too busy on first world problems. Uh, HRT, says a texture, is a hormone derived from horses directly linked with cancers. Women didn't use it before, and they survived. Do your research. Isn't Botox derived from cows? Uh, or am I wrong on that one? I don't know. Uh, I work with many who are on HRT and some who can't use it, and some who decide they just don't want to. Sleep can be helped without HRT. It's the hormonal anxiety that is the hardest to ease, but it can be eased with or without HRT. Uh, a couple of more texts. Contact a menopause specialist, a GP, or a consultant. Most GPs seem to have only limited knowledge on this topic. Many women who were advised they couldn't use HRT have now discovered that, in fact, they can. Uh, and uh, we have one more. Uh, I'm 48. I'm on HRT for five months. What a game changer. I'm a different person. I've got my mojo back. Every woman should start it on their 40th birthday. I wish I'd known about it two years ago. I actually thought I was getting early dementia and was afraid to say anything in case people thought I was mad. Please, please, to the women, research it. That very interesting link between uh, later life dementia and senility and uh, the lack of HRT back in the day is something I think that should be explored. One final um uh, text on the topic. There is a private menopause clinic in the Ski Hard Road in Blackrock. It's not cheap at 225 euros for the first and follow-up visit, but it might be worth a shot. It might help somebody. It's disgraceful, though, that women should have to pay for this service. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818-104-106. Red FM. Huge reaction to our HRT topics, and I'm sure it's one we'll come back to uh, on the program in the course of time. But right now, we welcome Shackleton expert Eugene Furlong to the program. Good morning, Eugene. Good morning, Mick, and how are you? I'm very good. That's good, that's good. Did I once, did I once blow up a car on you, no? Sorry? Did I once uh, do a wind-up on you? You did, you fecker. <laughs> was, that, was I lighting a match, supposedly, in, in, into, the, into the, uh, the tank of a car that you had washed? And I blew yes. it up and nearly gave you a heart attack. Nearly. <laughs> yeah, nearly <laughs> okay. would be uh, an understatement. <laughs> All right. I, and if I remember correctly, uh, and I'm harking back to the days, uh, now, now, of course, it's, a, it's kind of a main road, but you had your car wash where now would sit the Tesco in Douglas Shopping Centre. 
that's right, that's right. That's a, that's a good couple of years ago now, Mike. I'm, I'm out of there since 2007, I think it is. Yeah. Well, it's great great, great, to hear you again. And I want to get at the end of the interview, if I can. Let's not harp on it now and let's not be negative. Uh, I want to get at the end of the interview, if I can, to why you were not mentioned in the Shackleton documentary that I watched and enjoyed last night. I didn't even know you were coming on. I didn't even know you had anything to do with it. And that's because you weren't mentioned in the credits. But let's get to that later on. Uh, Shackleton's cabin has been donated to Ireland after decades in Norway. This is a cabin from the ship The Quest, uh, in which he and, I'm not sure, was it was it Woolsey? Or... Uh, uh, Frank Wilde. Frank, yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, th- this was a cabin in two pieces and they had a piece each, basically. Uh, and you first stepped inside this cabin in 2014. It was a garden shed for 90 years. Now, Shackleton died in this cabin. Yeah, that's right. He died uh, in January 1922 uh, inside the cabin when she was uh, at anchor in Gritrickin. Uh, and South Georgia, and then to skip on the cabin or the ship went up for auction in Liverpool, and it was bought by a Norwegian guy, and he brought it up to a shipyard up in Ramna, which is uh, above the Arctic Circus. And the shipyard was owned by a man by the name of Johan Drager. Now, Shackleton was well-known in uh, in Norway and well-respected uh, for his polar exploits. And Johan Drager said, I cannot destroy this cabin. This is, this is special. So he brought the cabin home and it lay up in, up in his farm and then his great-grandson's farm, you know, for... Mm-hmm. Until 2015. Okay, and and you came across it when? Well, I first heard about it in 2008. I was up in Norway, and like Ireland isn't the only place that things can happen in a pub. I was up in the pub with a couple of friends of my Norwegian friends, and we we're sitting down chatting, and we were talking about explorers, which. Anybody that knows me, I go talk with most people about the Antarctic people. And uh, then one of them, just off the cuff, said, I sure the cabin of Shackleton died in. That's open border. So I, I, I said, right, I'm picking this up wrong. <laughs> you know, so I, I asked him, I said, what? So he said, yeah, yeah, the cabin of Shackleton died in his orphan border. So my best friend up there, Arnie, said, hey, Arnie, will you make a couple of phone calls there and find out about this cabin? So he did, to find out that the cabin was uh, gone down south, uh, down to southern Norway, mm-hmm. uh, and was going on board a ship to go to Gritrickin, where it was going on, on display. So I said, right, grand. I was well over a thousand miles north of where the cabin was, but I was going to Gritrickin uh, later on that year myself. I was down there with Pat Falvey. So I said, sure, I'll get to see it. 
for them down in Gritfiken. So I was down in Gritfiken, no sign of the cabin, and I asked about it, and I was told, no, uh, it hasn't arrived yet. So when I came home, I set up a Google alert about the cabin. And no, the, ca- the cabin, the cabin maybe doesn't describe what we're what we're talking about here. It's essentially a square garden shed. Yeah, exactly. Like when um, Shackleton bought the ship, Folke One, what was her name? He bought her in Norway and brought her to Southampton to be refitted, and the 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 ship wasn't really the purpose that Shackleton was going to use it. So they built cabins and clamped them to the deck of the ship. So that's why the cabin... Was removable, I suppose, as well. Yes, exactly. Yeah, because the, the, the ship was, was rapidly fitted for uh, for going south rather than going north. Uh, anyway, the some other happy coincidences ca- came along. You had a series of happy coincidences, not just about having the pint in the pub when when, when you heard about it, but uh, Ulfa Bacow owned the cabin and came to Kildare and was very impressed by the community and the voluntary spirit of the Shackleton Society. Of course, not many people know that Shackleton was not an Englishman. He was born in a Thai in County Kildare. That's right, that's right. You know, um, just to recap a small bit, that was 2008, I set up my Google alert, got a couple of bits and pieces, but I never got the cabin nowhere on board the ship and going south. So in about 2014, I was talking to Arnie on the phone, and I said, Arnie, have you heard anything about the cabin? So Arnie didn't care or no. So he made a couple of phone calls, got back onto me, and said, Eugene, the cabin up in northern Norway, society great, society look. I'm coming up to you there in October. Uh, can you arrange for us to go and visit? So he did. And oddly enough, the weekend that I was up in Norway was the very weekend that the Shackleton weekend in the Thai was on. You know, so it, um, it just was a, a, a total coincidence. So I got talking to them up there and I just got to go feeling that this cabin might be up for grabs, you know, and sure, with a typical Irish neck. I said, sure, that cabin belongs in Ireland, you know, near his birth. Yeah, complete the circle. Bring back the cabin in which he died to where he was born. Oh yeah, which at the time... um, I didn't think there was a hope in hell of it ever happening. So I got on to a couple of people and they got on to other people and we uh, we put a programme together and brought old Fofer on two occasions and he was delighted to see the amount uh, that Shackleton has here in, in Ireland. So, uh, yeah, not, not uh, just the interest in him, but the respect shown to his memory in, in, in Kildare. Yes, yes. Yes, uh, you know, it wasn't just all uh, hard facts. There was a, a, a certain amount of love for the man, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, if this cabin went to a different shipyard, it probably would be matchsticks by now, would it? All matchsticks, definitely. Yeah. Definitely, you yeah. know, and it's to Ulf Backer's great-grandfather, Johan Drager, that the cabin exists, you know, I, Another shipyard, yeah, hard that yoke off, dump it on board and get rid of it. 
Yeah. You know, but he brought it home and only for him we were having this conversation. Yeah, okay. Now what was it like just on a personal level when you first sat into the cabin? Ah it was emotional, I have to say. You know, I've uh, loved Shackleton for very many years. I knew that he died in Great Ficken and in the story, but actually have the opportunity to sit down in the cabin in which he died and be told I was the first Irishman in the cabin wow. since Shackleton. That, well, that's the story I'm going to tell the grandkids. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's great. Now, on Facebook last night, I saw you posting a picture of yourself in 2014 or so, 2015, in the cabin, and decrying the fact that nobody mentioned you or your part in, a, in that cabin now being here in Ireland. It was a fabulous restoration documentary. I'm not taking anything from the uh, documentary. It was engaging. It was enthralling. Fantastic documentary. Uh, but you feel you should have been recognised. Oh, yeah. Uh, de- definitely. Like yourself, Mick, I will not take one word away from the documentary. But when I think back of the amount of effort and time that I put in between the people in the toy and Ulf Backer and when things got a bit choppy about getting the camera here, I calmed the seas on both sides, you know, and I might have been a bit big-headed by saying without me it never would have happened. I don't think so. I don't think so. No. No, I don't think so. And, you know, not even to be mentioned in the credits was some kick in the arse, like. Yeah, you know, which doesn't cost anything, really. No, no. You know, okay, I wasn't interviewed. An interview would have been nicer, I have to say. An interview with you would have been nicer. And it would have given great great context to the, the, you know, the travels of the cabin. Yeah, well, you know... um, Nobody knows the story better than what I do, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Uh, with my first contact with the cabin and Ulf, and, you know. As as, some, as someone who loves to see you, Gene, there, there, there are two stories of masterful navigation uh, that, uh, you know, will persist to be the greatest seafaring feats of all time. One, one will be the voyage of Captain James Bly after he was cut at, uh, adrift from uh, the Bounty, Mutiny on the Bounty is that story, uh, to find his way back to civilization and go and prosecute those who did that to him. And the other is the trip from the James Ca- on the James Caird, uh, which had Shackleton and our own Tom Crean uh, find, their, find their way from Elephant Island to South Georgia. Oh, fantastic. And uh, don't forget to us also Cartman on the James Caird. Tim McCarthy. There was yeah, there was three Irish on, on uh, as well on the on the last Shackleton expedition, wasn't there? On the on the um, on the quest, no, there was only one Irish guy from okay. Northern Ireland. He was a doctor, but on the James Caird. Oh, I'm I'm sorry, I'm, I, t- I'm thinking I, of the endurance. I beg your pardon. Yeah, um, sorry, no, the um, and. And the James Caird, the trip from Elephant Island to... To South Georgia. There was Tim McCarthy, there was Crean, Woolsey, or Worsley. Worsley, yeah. 
and Shackleton. Now, Shack Shackleton is known as the boss. He's, he was known as the boss for many years. Shackleton is probably the only Antarctic explorer who never lost a crew member. Came back through the most unimaginable odds to, to collect and retrieve his crew on Elephant oh, yeah. Island. And of course, yeah. I, I know you're very entwined with the story of Tom Crean from Owneskall in County Kerry. And it's, it's very hard to drive from Cork to Dingle without taking that slight right turn and going for a coffee in the, in the South Pole Inn. In the South Pole Inn, yes, yes. I, I, every time I pass there, sure, I have to and say hi. And when I'm down in Kinmare, then I always bump into Aileen. That's uh, Tom Crane's granddaughter, you know. So I have a good connection with, with the family. Yeah. Eugene, I, I hope we've gone some way to redress the balance or the imbalance uh, that the documentary presented by not interviewing you, not giving any uh, mention in the credits, but, uh, you know, to all intents and purposes, it was a wonderful piece of work. I'm just sorry that you weren't included in it in some way. Right, Mick, very much appreciated, and thanks very much not, not for the opportunity to, no. to, to spread the love. I, I must dig out that wind-up again when I was lighting a, uh, lighting a lighter and a match <laughs> into a petrol tank and, <laughs> and blew it up. Yeah. Many, many yeah. years ago, they were of their time. Uh, thanks a million to okay. you, Eugene Furlong. Okay, thanks. Take care. Thanks. All the best. Bye. Uh, Bye. That's Bye. Eugene Furlong, Shackleton expert. Shackleton's Cabin may be available on the RT player, I'm not too sure. Uh, it is a wonderful documentary, uh, if only if you're interested in restoration and don't even have an interest in the seafaring history of the cabin. A wonderful documentary indeed. 25 car parking spaces have gone on sale in Cork for €725,000. Broken down, it works out at €29,000 per space. 25 car parking spaces. Yet, this is the unusual daft.ie listing, which outlines an investment property at the multi-storey on Union Quay, which is situated between the Riverside and Copley Street. The busy car park has access to Southlink Road, uh, and all of the spaces up for sale are on floor A4. I used to work there actually many, many years ago when it was a uh, telecom air and depot. It's now the red bricked parking, multi-story parking you can see at the end of Copley Street, a legendary telecom uh, depot that was. Uh, broken down 29,000 per space. Sellers Lisney said 23 of the spots are under one-year lease agreements, meaning they're generating revenue back. The other two have similar deals and longer contracts. They say the fees are bringing in 51,984 a year. Once the costs are taken out, the net return is 41359 Union Keep uh, Car Park, they wrote, is a purpose-built multi-storey car park situated at the corner of Copley Street in Union Key. The car park has vehicular access, access from Copley Street and pedestrian access from Union Key and benefits from the ease of access from the Southlink Road network and all main arterial routes. If you're in the market, €29,000 per car parking space. The Neil Prendeville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday 0818-104-106. On the Ukraine issue, actually, Cork Opera House is set to host a special concert in aid of the Irish Red Cross Ukraine Appeal. That's taking place on Friday week, May 13th. The concert will feature more than 150 performers during the course of the night, drawing musicians and singers from a variety of groups and choirs across the city, including Ruby Horse, the White Horse Guitar Club, Karen Underwood, Carrie Tool Gospel Choir, the White Horse Gospel Choir and Citadel, a band comprised of asylum seekers and refugees themselves. And uh, that will be a night out for the Ukraine at the Cork Opera House, uh, May 13th, uh, this, that's Friday week. Over 150 performers will come together 
for the Ukraine Red Cross appeal at Cork Opera House. Details, I imagine, uh, and tickets at the box office. Now, live at the marquee is coming up as well. Riverdance is taking place on Sunday, June 5th. And on the Neil Prendeville Show, we've summer sorted with a pair of tickets each day to give away to Riverdance on Sunday, June the 5th. Now, we're going to open the lines in about 10 minutes, so don't call just now. Uh, and if you are a winner, you'll not only get to Riverdance, but at the end of the week, we'll put you in a draw where one happy winner will be included in a pre-concert meal for two people at Sober Lane, Cork's lively gastro pub in the heart of the city. When we open the phone lines, not now. We'll want you to identify these two Eurovision songs. They're familiar, but they're tant- tantalizingly obscure, aren't they? Lines open there for that uh, Riverdance uh, Live at the Marquee competition in about 10 minutes' time. Good morning, Patricia. Hello. Hello. Hi, Patricia. Hi, Mick. How are you? I'm very good. Now, you've got property issues. You sold your two-story house in Douglas last year, and you're looking for a three-bed bungalow. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking for the last maybe nearly 12 months, and it's just impossible. We had... So many viewings, we did so many biddings on it, and we were always outbidded every time. Uh, outbid by by family, um, buyers no, by buyers, buyers. Just just by ordinary buyers. There must be a lot of yeah. stock of three bed bungalows within thirty to forty minutes of the city. Uh, by the way, and you're on because you sold your house in Douglas because your husband has mobility issues. That's right. Yeah, and we just wanted to get a bungalow so that he wouldn't have to be going up and down the stairs. Okay, so you're struggling now to get a home. Tell me what's happening. Well, at the moment now, uh, we're living with family members outside the city a bit. So um, it's just just crazy. We're constantly looking, we're constantly viewing, and we're constantly checking out online with dust and everything else. But the prices are absolutely outrageous. They're crazy. Are they getting out of your reach now? Is it getting harder? Yes. Yes, they're getting out of our budget, what we have to spend on a house, because... We're hoping not to get another mortgage because we paid off our mortgage. Okay, but now you might have to. Yeah, yeah, but we're hoping not to. Would, can, that, would, that, would that be possible, I wonder? I don't know, see, because, um, like, I don't know how long more my husband is going to be working for. So, yeah, I, I'm hoping not to go that route, you know. Okay. So, hopefully... Hopefully we can get something within the budget that we have. Somebody in the county might be listing or something that might be put it on the market, might sell it privately. What What are your wish list uh, demands? My wish is to get a home for my children and myself and my husband. And, like, they want to still go to college here in the city and they want to go to school and everything else. Like So, like, a half an hour to 40 minutes is not that far out, I know. But... If the prices are still high enough out there, then at that that far out, yeah, you can, really so you're, you're looking at you're looking at all all of the environs from possibly Clonakilty too far, maybe Bandon, maybe Mallow. Yeah, for my that direction, general direction, because a lot of my family live around North Cork. So Watergrass Hill. What, what, what's what's your budget, yeah. Patricia? Well, our budget is two twenty. Okay. So, so uh, if there is anything out there for that, like you know. Okay, and uh, you're finding it very difficult then to compete with people yeah. who are up in the threes and the fours now. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, so it is It is crazy. Okay, uh, we'll put the appeal out there for you. You sold your two-story house in Douglas because your husband has mobility issues. You say he's still working, yes. but you don't know how much longer he's got to work. 
and you're looking for something 30, maybe 40 minutes outside the city at 2.20 uh, yes. to help uh, and you're struggling to get a home for your, uh, you, your husband and your children. I, ho- I hope somebody's yes. listening that may have some offers. Uh, if so, we're not estate agents, but we'll put them through to you directly. That's okay. I know, Mick. I know, Mick. Thank you so much for taking my call. Thanks a million. Not a problem, Patricia. Thank you very much. Thank you, then. Thank uh, you. Bye-bye. Thanks Bye-bye. a million. Now, I can come on this programme once every six months. I, I'm on the programme, not an hour, and this man is already on the air. Miles Gaffney. Mick, how are you? Listen, it's, it's, <laughs> it's like all a bad off between myself and Neil. We're finished. It's me and you now. You're like a bad smell. <laughs> no, I'm oh, joking. Uh, Cork songwriter Miles Gaffney, not to be outdone, has immortalised one of Ireland's greatest female sporting achievers in song. Uh, this time, of course, it's Katie Taylor who beat Amanda Serrano uh, in New York last week. Don't you find um, Katie's fighting? It's it's just explosive. It's almost too fast to watch compared to what you know. The, you're always conditioned to to watch the the big heavyweight fights. This is just so fast, isn't it? It's just so intriguing and then exciting. Even the build up and everything to the fights is just like it's on. It's the anticipation of just waiting for her to come. Yeah, it's just an unbelievable ambassador for Ireland. It's um. And I just felt like that um, it was her time now, saying that, writing the song. This is definitely my last time writing the song on request for somebody, you know, as in sports stars anyway. Um, I've done them all, like Roy Keane, Teddy McCarthy, Liam Miller, Liverpool Football Club, Oshin McConville, and Katie Taylor, and that's it. That's so, it. I finished up with her now, female, and it's done. I'll carry on with my own projects now, but... Um, yeah, it was great to get the go-ahead as well from from the Taylors themselves, you know. Like, this is going back over 14 months, Mick, you know. Um, this was put to me, and um, I was given the contact, the direct contact, and um, there was only three contacts ever made. One was, will, will, am I doing it? The second one was, it's written. And the third one was, it's recorded. And that's okay. it, you know. <laughs> okay, um, you know the way you hear sports pundits, and especially team managers, uh, across the gambit of team sports, who all oh, the lads dug deep. They dug deep in the second half. Where, where, to what depths did Katie Taylor have to have to dig in the in those middle rounds to come back from what looked like uh, she was being uh, schooled a little? Yeah, I don't know. It was is it a game plan? Mick would it be? Well, not 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 if you listen to the uh, and there there's transcripts of her corner. Yeah, uh, and and uh, her her advisor saying what to do. Um, maybe it, maybe yeah, maybe it's uh, what do they call it in in the old heavyweight Muhammad Ali times, rope a dope. Yeah, well, I, I mean, look at the crowd, the Irish people there. I mean, if it was me in that situation and you looked up and saw those flags, I think you just might find a bit of heart within you to just go that one last bit. Yeah, you know, um, I know, I know myself from speaking to um, let's say uh, people who would know Katie very well. That like um, the pride that she takes within her people and her flag, and that's why I went and done this because I have very similar beliefs in my country and my people, and um, I think that that gives her that that gives her that little bit of edge over all the other fighters. But she has it all, but the support from her people and her nation just might give her that extra little bit when she needs it. You know, the people. Yeah, very interesting reading over the weekend where she said that uh, her all-time hero, Roy Keane, rang her at her lowest ebb in life. And I know she's gone through a lot with her dad and all that kind of thing. Uh, and, and just gave her the, you know, the courage to carry on. Uh, you know, she's also got other sporting icons uh, like Tyson Fury. 
making public statements and even texting to congratulate her. So she is she now uh, rightfully claiming the position as the greatest Irish athlete of all time. I would I would say so. She's up there, and I do think that she um, doesn't get the recognition that she should get. How do you feel about that yourself, Mick? I mean, I, I would think that she should get a lot more recognition well, than what she gets as an ambassador for Ireland. Like, But she is definitely number She's definitely number one female, anyway, if not the greatest of them all, like, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, I get, a, a lot of women's sports don't get the recognition uh, that they rightfully deserve. They don't get the public support either when it comes to bums on seats. Mm, yeah. Oh, no, no. And she goes, no, I mean, Taylor's. I, I was getting videos sent to me now the other night. Uh, of the um, lads out on a boat trip in the bay in New York, with me on and the and the radio on the jukebox or whatever that, filming the Statue of Liberty, and these guys all travelled out from Cork to watch that boxing match just to go there for that weekend. And here's the song, okay? This is the tribute song. It's uh, to Katie Taylor, written by Miles Gaffney. We won't be able to play it all, but we'll get a we'll get a verse and a chorus in Miles. All right? Oh, fuck where? She's in the ring, Katie Taylor, the Irish boxing queen, an old old house in Bray, and she boxed her way to conquer the female boxing game, determination training mad on the pads, coached by her dad disguised as a lad, orthodox, she know the girl could box. A 12-year-old with the world in her hand She's one of God's greatest plans Gifted to the people of Ireland Katie, Katie Taylor The history maker, the record breaker Katie, Katie Taylor The fighting trail of Ireland of the green, white and gold She's the Irish queen Honor she holds. Katie Taylor. Katie Taylor, written by Miles Gaffney. Is that the actual name of the song, Miles? Yeah, Katie Taylor. So the perfect, <laughs> perfect, simple Katie Taylor. So I'm after like no, the two of them, Roy and Katie, and the two friends, and I'm her music idol. Of course, of course, it helps that she won <laughs> at the weekend. Oh, yeah. I was, you know, we made a video and I just want to thank uh, young Lauren Crinion. She's the All-Ireland champion and she played Katie in the video from Father Hogan's Boxing Club, right? And I was, we were out there filming it last week in um, the Nowhere to High Gym and uh, I said to myself, if she loses, like, she'll lose. I know, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> but it walked out in the end. But it was a gamble. It's like everything. More power to you, Miles. In your pantheon, your discography, as they call it, you've got Roy Keane, Teddy McCarthy, Liam Miller, Ocean McConville, and now you've added Katie Taylor. Well done. And Thanks Liverpool, a and Liverpool. And Liverpool. That's right. Good luck. <laughs> Thanks, Good luck, Miles. Good luck, uh, luck. Okay, let's open the phone lines for our competition. We have uh, a pair of tickets for Riverdance Sunday, June 5th to give away. Uh, and you can uh, call us right now. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 Cork's Red FM. And in a minute to 12, let's go to our phone lines and to Tracy, who's in Rushbrook and Cove. Hi, Tracy. <laughs> Hi, Nick, how are you? Very good. You're a Hello. huge Riverdance fan, are you? <laughs> I am now, anyway. The thumbtacks are going in the shoes now. I'll ask, can I Whoa. give my own performance? <laughs> <laughs> All right, you're a bit of crack. Let's see if you can identify these two songs for us. I see forever, 
And Tracy, what are they? Okay, so you have Neve Cavanagh in your eyes and you have Bucks Fizz making your mind up. Yeah, one from Ireland, Neve Cavanagh, former bank worker, and one from the UK, Bucks Fizz making your mind up. You're heading along to Riverdance Sunday, June 5th, and you're in the draw on Friday. You may be <laughs> going as well for a pre concert meal for two at Sober Lane, Cork's lively gastro pub in the heart of the city. Thanks a million, Tracy. Fabulous. Have a great Thank day. Thank you so thanks. much, Mick. Thanks. Bye bye. My thanks bye-bye. to the Neil Prendival Show production crew led by Seamus Wheeler. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.